games. Headphones. We Talk Games 9. Welcome, everyone, to We Talk Games 9, the passion of the pixel. I know we're pressed for time, Keith, but I didn't even sit. I just parked. I got in from... Gather myself. Sorry, everybody. Welcome to We Talk Games 9. I am your host, Wiggly, in the booth, and starting the show without me, Keith LaPosh. Yo. It's like from one thing to right into another. To my left, the lovely, the vivacious, the tin-plated Tootsie, T.T. Schmootkins. T.T., thank you very much for your assistance earlier with that VMware appliance emergency. I I just could not recall for the life of me the Unix command to mount and format a USB hard drive. Hello, my name is T.T. Schmootkins. I didn't mean to grab your man. Right on, right on. And sitting down at the end of the trapdoor chicken coop bar and karaoke area, the impeccable Stinky the Game Master. Stinky. Hey, remember last time when you yelled at that guy? What guy? You know, about the skitchin' and stuff. You mean Kyle? Yeah, because you said that you wanted skitchin' and road rash, and then you yelled at him. You said that road rash, you didn't talk about road rash. You wanted that to come back out and skitchin', you only did. Listen, Stink, we got to really go here. Yeah, well, you yelled at him, and he was right. <laughs> he did mention both skitchin' and road rash that you wanted to be real. Right, right. Listen, I'm... I'm did you see me when I ran in earlier? Come on, we got a stack show! Uh, speaking of co-hosts, and speaking of Kyle Von Kubik, Kyle Von Kubik will be up in a little while here, as well as Johnny Capcom will be on later on in the show. And today's show, our two special guests are amazing! First, we're talking about the passion of the pixels, let's push some pixels around here. First, a guy that took his love of video games said, I want to put on an art exhibit with how video games make you feel as a youth. Turns that into a brand, and now that brand is being sought out by the biggest names in the gaming industry. Capcom and Nintendo. I mean, Nintendo, that's pretty big. It's a pretty big name. John Gibson of I Am 8-Bit will be up later on in the show, as well as, oh my goodness, one of my favorite companies. Well, no, in fact, my favorite company of all time, Konami. Tom Hewlett from Konami will be on the show to talk about, I don't know if you might have heard about this, rumors about this on the internet, Silent Hill Shattered Memories. Yeah, he'll be on to talk about that, as well as Rocket Knight, a title that we're all looking forward to here at the We Talk Games studios. And he also did a Contra 4 for the Nintendo DS, so it was one of my favorite Contra games in the series. Amazing! And we're also going to have our correspondents... Jade Kirby, ouch, will be joining us for the first time, ouch, as well as a new feature, Jasonia will be on to give us some tips on achievements, plus Stinky, your contest is going to return this month as well, it is, and the We Talk Games Council for Video Game Millionaires will be tackling some of the We Talk Games bulletin board generated questions, as submitted by you, the listener. Hey, remember that time that you and Chiz were talking about... That game for the PlayStation 3, Hakuna Matata. Yeah? Yeah, I just saw that's coming to the States. It's called Africa. Where'd you pay for that? Like $8? Come on, stink! Yeah, it's going to be $50. (laughs) All of a sudden, you're Mr. Talkative. For the past few weeks, you've been walking around Mr. Scary Scare. Scary Stare. (sighs) So, I got to get... Listen, we got to move on with this. And to be honest, I'm, I'm kind of happy to move on, because for the past few weeks, ever since the incident on the last episode, it's been kind of tense around the old trapdoor chicken coop here. Hey, we must never mention that again. 
All right, say no more. In fact, let's not start. Let's go! Don't you think I sound like a robot? This must be the retro review part, because if it's from the 80s, you must sing like robot. Alright, downloadable arcade at home. Let's start with the Wii, find out what was available from the Wii Shop channel since the last episode. Hey, demos on the Wii! <laughs> Finally, we have demos on the Wii. I hope you have a memory card because uh, you're going to fill up your internal memory in no time. The Wii Store is still a one title or, in this case, one demo at a time download. You still don't have a cart or anything, so every time you make a purchase, you have to... Confirm that you really do want to purchase this. You have to wait for the, the entire download. After it's downloaded, you have to also click A, OK, to the disclaimer about how some video games can cause epilepsy and not rated online and all this. You have to do the disclaimer after that. And then you can go back and continue in the store and see if you want to purchase anything else. So I downloaded the demo for the Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles, My Life as a Dark Lord. And that, that Wee Wee Mario drove me a little crazy on the last coin. He got stuck there. Three minutes on that last coin. No home, no home. You're stuck here. Don't shut off your machine, that's for sure. And the demos are located in the WiiWare area, mixed in with the other WiiWare titles. So hopefully there will be some more organization with this in the, in the months to come. For the virtual console, let's talk about this. The Super Nintendo, $8 will get you Indiana Jones' Greatest Adventure. Now, this is his Greatest Adventure, so 8 bucks. that's kind of cheap for that. The Commodore 6, I don't really know if it's his Greatest Adventure. I, I, uh, I was sort of out of the Super Nintendo when this title launched. I think we were already into the next gen of systems at that time. Commodore 64 Cybernoid came out. Now, this was, uh, I remember playing the, the fighting machine, Cybernoid. I remember playing this on the NES. It was an exercise in avoidance and a pretty tough shooter. So, um, only get that if you're, if you like those maze shooters. For the Master System, we got Wonder Boy 3, The Dragon's Trap. I recommend you get the Dragon's Curse version of this for the TG-16. Once again, once again, we have multiple ports of the same title coming out for the different virtual consoles. It's bizarre. It's, it's not like someone says, oh, I don't have a Master System. I'm going to get it for the Genesis. Oh, I don't have a Genesis. I'm going to get it for the Turbo Graphics. They're all, all those consoles are emulated in the, v, in the virtual console area. Everyone has those systems. I know there's some purists out there that would want the original colors. I mean, you have a color swap palette, and a few pixels moved around in the Dragon's Curse version. But I prefer the Dragon's Curse version. It's, it's the same. It's almost identical, though. That's definitely one of my favorite TurboGrafx games, by the way, because you start out a Wonder Boy hero at the end of the previous Wonder Boy tale. So you're all powered up, you're all ready to go, and then you fight a dragon, and then the curse occurs. And then you go through the entire game fighting as a monster. And one of my favorite monsters is, of course, Mouse Man. I ruined it. I don't care. He's so cute. Wait till you're Mouse Man. Hey, speaking of the TurboGrafx-16, this is some interesting stuff. It, it, it boggles my mind sometimes what comes out for these systems. TurboGrafx-16, $7 from Japan. You could get the Japanese-only release of Street Fighter II Champion Edition. If you ever wanted to play Street Fighter II with only two buttons, now's your chance, everyone. Now, it really wasn't only two buttons. There were actually four buttons that were employed by this title. But the main reason that you would get Street Fighter II Champion Edition for your Turbo and import it for your Turbo or for your PC Engine is because you would want to play it on the Turbo Express. 
or the PC Engine GT, whichever system that you had, because this was the only available portable version of Street Fighter 2 at the time, and it was full color, and in fact, it was a little bit of a special hue card as well, because it had a slight bulge right under the hue card graphic art, because I guess the game utilized additional memory to make it all happen on the Turbo. And it was a great version! Because the Turbo Graphics was only two buttons, plus you had a select and run button, you would actually use the run button as like one of your light hits. And what you do is you would hit the select button to change between whether you wanted those three buttons to be your punches, and then you hit select and those three buttons could be your kicks. So it was kind of a wacky way to play Street Fighter. I think there was another control mechanism in there as well. I haven't played mine for a while. But really, the only reason to have this was because you could play it portably. So it really doesn't make that much sense to have it in the virtual console. And I would much rather see a few other titles, especially Spriggan. Spriggan 1 come out for the uh, Japanese version of the TurboGrafx. We also got Fighting Street. Now this one I had to get. $8 will get you the game that I played for about six months when the Turbo CD was first released in the United States. I mean, just for the voice acting, the odd musical arrangements... And the really quirky idiosyncrasies that the original Street Fighter had. This is the original Street Fighter. They called it Fighting Street when they released it in the States. So you can only play as Ryu unless uh, Player 2 joins. Then it's Ken and then you can fight against Ken. But as you play through the game in a single person mode, you're only Ryu. And just pulling off a fireball or a an uppercut or a tornado kick takes an equal amount of persistence and luck. So yes, the game is frustrating, but all the voice acting... Better luck next time, please! I have just one. <laughs> okay, but don't forget that many people like you are having to Just for the, the, the incredibly low bandwidth samples in here, makes this really worth it. And, and to, to relive the failed existence of the Turbo CD in the United States. And I've got to tell you, after playing this for a little while i just i realized that if i wasn't doing this show i'd probably get rid of all my systems and just spend all my days and my spare times just playing my turbo graphics the pc engine and the the turbo duo i really 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 love that system i don't know what it is about it it really has a charm there's some pretty exciting stuff over in WiiWare. In fact, my number one most exciting thing. But first, let's take a quick break to visit the Pokemon Rumble. Now, you could demo this title. And when you demo it, Nintendo gives you a disclaimer before you can even do your other clicks to start downloading it about this only being a demo. And some things are different when you get the full version as opposed to the demo. This allows you to battle your Poke toys. Hey... You know what? I don't want to spend a lot of time with animation and doing a lot of stuff. How do we get around that? Oh, these are just toys of the Pokemons that have some of the same attributes as the Pokemons. I, this is not shovelware. This is called Nintendo Kachingware. They are just bilking the money out of the poor Pokemon geeks. But let's talk about something that really floated my boats. All boats full steam ahead. Excite Bike World Rally! Would I still be excited about an Excite Bike after Trials HD? And especially with the last iteration of Excite Bike being Excite Bike 64, the first person mud mess. 
Well, the good news is Excite Bike World Rally is not first person, and it is awesome. It's also different enough from Trials HD that there's no cross competition between the two. Excite Bike does use the not quite 2.5D rendering, but the bikes are still as cute as ever. In fact, they're chubbier and and more cute, I think, in this perspective. But the gameplay is serious racing fun. You know, you have to choose the right lane, hit the cooldown strips, uh, land properly, wheelie over your opponents. Now, transforming terrain also occurs when you hit some switches. And you still have the track editor and the four-player online, so that's really good. And I, I did a four-player online race against anybody. I was able to find a race with no problem. The graphics are a little PS1.5, perhaps, but the game is just so good that the graphics really don't make no never mind. And 10 bucks, definitely. It's all there, man. The music, the gameplay, the fun, the excitement, and now racing online against friends or enemies. Also in the WiiWare store, Frogger Returns. Uh, not to my system, he doesn't. I'll have to check this out at a future date, but I didn't, I didn't check it out in time for this show. Especially since we're so stacked. Let's move right on to the Xbox Live Arcade store, the Xbox Arcade store. Well, first of all, the social networking hit the Xbox 360, Facebook, Twitter, Last.fm, and even Zune. I think we got a bump from Zune recently even, so Zune is happening there, and why wouldn't it? In the live arcade, in Cleverment Experiment, 10 bucks gets you a great art style numerical and memory test type of gimmick, but it does require you to know the button layout of the Xbox 360 as part of, of figuring out these puzzles, because... It does penalize you if you don't hit the right button that correlates to the multiple choice answers on screen. But it's a good one. Give it a demo. You might uh, you might enjoy it. And there's not a lot of games like this for the 360. OD Beat Drop. It's advertised as a puzzle and rhythm game. You have block dropping going on, but you sort of line up your blocks and then you slam one down when you want to try to make the stacks disappear. So it's not like you get four in a row, you get five in a row, you get 19 connected to one another. You can get as many connected as you like, but then when you're ready to make them all disappear, you slam one of the same color or shape down upon its corresponding pattern and then it blows the whole thing up. And it's it's a lot, it's very trippy. You have the res type of effects happening and your avatars in the middle of it as well. So you might enjoy this to play against other people. And that'll rock you 10 bucks. Rainbow Island Towering Adventure. Another in Taito's new release series of revamping old games by making them into 3D. This, this version... For some reason, this game, I can tolerate the 3D. Now, if you don't re- remember what Rainbow Islands was, it's when you're a human person. And these two humans, I don't know if they're still called Bub and Bob anymore like they were when they were dinosaurs, but these two humans aren't as cute and adorable and cuddly as their much plumper, pixelized versions. But still, it's a pretty good uh, version of this Rainbow Islands. And instead of trying to drill down like as in Mr. Driller, this preceded Mr. Driller by about a dozen years, I guess, but you uh, you try to make your way up up the level by throwing out rainbows and walking upon them and the rainbows dissipate after a little while. And you also knock out the bad guys with your rainbows and $10 will get you this. It's also not 16 by 9 so demo that before you buy it. NBA Unrivaled $15 Tecmo is back in the Xbox Live Arcade. One half N64, one half 1980s arcade game. I'm stumped by this release. It is hard to control and choppy, and I just can't see someone 
sitting in her living room saying, you know, I would really like an NBA game, but I just can't wait to get in my car and drive to the store and buy one that's going to have full HD graphics. I'll be able to see them sweat and play, and the, it will be responsive. It won't be a choppy mess and look like it's from 12 years ago. I'm just going to download this right now for $15 because I need to play basketball that much. Inferno Pool also came out. Now, this was available for the PS3 as well as the Xbox 360. And wow, I was just expecting another pool game that was going to be like, I don't know, grunge music or some type of thing. Is, is that still a music style? I'm not sure. But instead, it's pool with a little bit of a twist. Each player has their own table. And it's either split screen or quad screen, depending if you're playing against a computer, which would be split screen or another opponent split screen. Or for a people playing simultaneously, which you have the quad screen, and you're just trying to clear all the balls off your pool table. And as you do, as you drop balls, you're zapping over rocket balls to your opponent. Now, they're not hitting them. They're just putting extra balls on their table that they have to clear. And then this Inferno thing happens, and I'm not quite sure exactly how everything goes down. But it might be worth the download for 10 bucks. Inferno Pool. Also, three Wallace and Gromit titles, number two, three, and four, were released at $10 a piece, so you can continue on that series if you so choose. And Panzer General Allied Assault, $10. Another game I wasn't expecting. This is a board-based military World War II card type of game that even employs a dice. So it's part strategy, part card playing, and a lot of luck to not get the negative numbers to happen when you're trying to build an assault against your opponent. Sam and Max Beyond Time and Space also came out. $20 gets you five of the crime-fighting capers all together in one bundle. Now a little section I like to call Worth the Demo. Axel and Pixel. $10. It's a mixed-media art-style trippy game with my favorite type of voice acting. I loved when this was in the Mario-style games. I really enjoy this type of... It's it's almost like they're talking, but it's sort of a garbled mix of mishmash, so you can read into it. And this is a puzzle-solving with pattern-pressing elements built into it. It has a relaxed, paced, cerebral, fun appeal. So it's definitely worth the download. And also a surprising one, Tower Blocks. Even though it spells blocks with an X, I still really enjoyed this game, and I think this could be a lot of fun, both in small doses and for the long haul. This is a tower-building puzzle game. You're operating a crane, and you're dropping these tower prefab segments down in the middle of a city. And you're trying to build the highest tower skyscraper that you can. In fact, in the unlocked version, you can build all the way up into outer space from starting down on terra firma. Now, don't be surprised if you demo this and it only lasts you 10 seconds. You only get three mistakes. And you can take as long as you like to drop the tower piece because the crane piece is swaying back and forth. The tower itself is swaying back and forth. So take your time to make the placements. And then if you get a perfect placement, you have like a little five or ten second window to try to rack up bonus points. I'm not sure exactly how much time you have. But that's the only time that you're pressed to try to drop more pieces down. And I can really see this catching on if you give it a chance. If you're looking for a new puzzle experience, give this a demo. And last but not least, the PlayStation Store, which was down all day today when I was trying to figure out what was new to this store. Uh, just in time for the summer blockbuster, Star Trek! You get Star Trek DAC. Now, I already talked about this game when it came out so many months ago, when the, when the movie actually did drop for the Xbox Live Arcade. But I realized this is 
a release in conjunction with the DVD release of Star Trek, and it might be more successful that way as well if it was a more fun title. This is your top-down asteroids type of game with high-def graphics. In fact, they may be too high-def because it's sometimes hard to discern where you are on the stage. If there's a barrier in front of you or if that's part of the background, will it hurt you if you run into it? Is this an enemy? And then, it, I don't know. I'll tell you what. Pick up a copy of Star Control 2 and 3DO for about the same price as this downloadable game and really have a blast. Now, following on the tales of games you may already own on the 360 or computer, The Amazing Braid finally hits the PlayStation Store and well worth the 15 bucks for this trippy time and physics play platformer. You're going to have a good time with this if you get it. And Game Loft's Tank Battle also came out. This is a four-player Atari tank type of 21st century graphics and firepower mixed in single-screen shoot-em-up. Military Madness Nectaris also came out for $10. I'll tell you what, $10, if I get it for the PlayStation 3 as well, that's only $20 I spent on this game, and I would still feel like I'm getting a bargain. I love Military Madness. And once again, this is because of my passion for the TurboGrafx-16. But I think that Military Madness Nectaris is one of the best hexagonal-based war games that I've ever played. Numblast also came out. Hey, it's only 5 bucks, and it's a neat number-linking puzzle game. The problem here is, number one, it's only one player. Number two, it's all in anime style, but yet has English voice acting on top of it and horrible English voice acting on top of it. Hey, watch the preview. That's all I can say for this. See if it's your type of game. Five bucks. It's not bad. I'm sure you're going to have a lot of fun trying to make all these chain reactions happen. And that's all I could really find for the PlayStation Store. Keith, get Kyle on the line. Let's go. Satellite of Integrity. Go. We Talk Games 9, Passion of the Pixels. This show is stacked, Wiggly. It is? It is. But I, I only mean, have, like, one guest on. What, one guest? No, we have many guests. Oh, yeah, we have a we have a buttload of guests, as they say. Yes. Now my throat's Just blown out. Stacking up. Yeah, it stacks up. Hey. Yeah. Let's talk some games. All right. Now, Very Club good. Nintendo. Hold on. Can I get a... Can I get a... Go ahead. Now, Very Club good. Nintendo recently dropped their Doc Lewis's Punch-Out, also known as uh, Doc Holiday's Shoot-At-It at No K Corral. That's what I know it as. Yeah, you can see that on the Wiggly, uh, what is that, message board. That's right. WeTalkGames.com. Click bulletin board. Mm. Join up and have some fun. Yeah. yeah so I, I chose this instead of a foam Mario cap. Now, uh, do you shoot a guy just for snoring? Yes, that's exactly what you do. Right. And there's many games where you're a dentist and you <laughs> waggle the Wii remote to pull out teeth. No, of course, this is like a standalone game where it's Little Mac against his trainer. And it essentially boils down to a, a demo, but it's cool because it's an exclusive. Mm -hmm. And if you were a fan of Punch-Out, you'll like this. Now, I understand not everybody's going to be able to get this, but uh, I think this might show up on the WiiWare mm. uh, you know, side. I don't know. It might not. You know, yeah. They, <laughs> Sorry. God, it's been a rough day. Holy cripes. <sighs> it has. And it seems that it's only going to get rougher. Yeah, it is. Right after the show, I got to head back in there and get back on tech support with Dell. I'm sorry. Yeah, Dell Holiday. He's Doc Holiday's brother. So essentially, this boils down to like a demo, but there's a lot of attention to detail. It's a cool exclusive, and I thought it was a better choice than a foam Mario cap that I'll never wear. Right. Now, do you ride a bicycle in it? 
You do not, although right. that would be pretty rad. Um, you do eat chocolates, I'm, I'm assuming. There is chocolate, believe it or not, in the game. I believe There's, it! Well, it's good. There's three modes of play. There's warm-up, training, and sparring. And basically, it's just three stages where the game's difficulty increases, and it adds more moves to Doc Lewis's repertoire, and he gets a little faster. You can use the same controls that you were using with Punch-Out, with the exception of, oh, no, Wiggly, I know you're going to be upset. There's no Wii balance board controls. <laughs> I know you were really hoping that there would be, but yeah. unfortunately there isn't. Okay. Uh, and there's no multiplayer support, because why would there be? And really, no loss there, because that sucked as well. In between rounds, though, there, like I said, there's a lot of attention to detail. Doc Lewis says things like, thanks for joining Club Nintendo, Mac. You know, which that's cool. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he eats chocolate bars to regain his health, a la Soda Popsky, um, or Ivan Von Drunksky, whichever version you're playing. And what's cool is if you hit his weak spot, so when he goes to eat the chocolate bar, spoiler alert, if you hit the chocolate bar away, he goes through this hulking up phase where he tears off his red sweatshirt to reveal a leopard pattern uh, sweatshirt underneath. And he kind of hulks up, which is cool. And then there's a warning screen telling you that, like, you know, you should never knock away Doc Lewis's chocolate bar. And it gives you, like, a warning. Very good. Hey, it's just fake, but it's funny. The other cool thing is Doc Lewis's special is the Star Punch. Oh. So there's a little bit of continuity there. Like, he taught Little Mac the Star Punch. Right. So it's cool. Like I said, you're not missing anything if you weren't a part of Club Nintendo. But, if you know, if you have a Wii and you're buying these games, you might as well join. Mm. I know a lot of people were, like, poo-pooing on it. Like, oh, well, it's just a demo. Yes, but it's it was free, yeah. and it's an exclu- and really the only annoying part about this whole thing was having Nintendo constantly email me about how they were shipping me my forty eight digit code, <laughs> and then once I got it, you know, it took forever to type in with the Wii remote. They should yeah. just have a game called Annoyance, and all you have to do is punch in long numbers with the Wii, Wii remote. It's it's terrible. I hate it. But once well, I got past that, I, I enjoyed the game. I got a few hours of enjoyment out of it so it was cool yeah entering any code is kind of a pain but um i guess the alternative would be to send you a special dvd that will allow you to do netflix on your ps3 yes you want to watch downloadable streaming movies you need this special dvd that will allow you to stream movies yeah it kind of defeats the purpose right (laughs) You might as well just have Netflix ship you DVDs. You just have 118 floppy disks laying there. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I keep changing them out. (laughs) What else you got for us? That sounds really uh, like I'm interested maybe in that, Lewis. You know, if if it drops on WiiWare, if it's reasonably priced and Uh, you're a real big fan of Punch-Out, I'd uh, say get it. But, you know, if it's one of these things where it's a 1,000 Wii points or or 1,600 or something ridiculous like that, stay away from it. It's only going to give you a couple hours of enjoyment. I'm thinking free is what I want, yeah. Like I said, if you're spending the money anyway, you might as well take advantage of this Club Nintendo. It's cool that we have it. It's cool that we're getting some free junk out of it. They just put up some new stuff, Zelda posters and things like that. So, you know, it's cool that it's there. Very good. I've also been playing Grand Theft Auto, Ballad of Gay Tony for the Xbox Hey! What are you saying on our show? You don't say that. Say what? You know. Gay. Gay. That's how is that offensive? Oh, well, what's wrong with Tony? He's gay. He's jubilant. At least that's what I got out of the game. All right. Now I was. I I I think this is interesting. It is interesting. Uh, I'm not going to give too much away 
with the story. Now, isn't but, it like two things? It's gay Tony and somebody else? Well, here's the Slightly thing. Slightly effeminate Harry? <laughs> yes, okay. exactly. Um, it costs, it's going to rock you 1600 Xbox points are about $20. Now, let's say you sold back your copy of Grand Theft Auto 4. Yeah. Uh, which a lot of people did. You can sure. pick up the Grand Theft Auto episodes from Liberty City, which is a disc for your Xbox 360. That's it. And it's going to rock you $33.99 new or $34.89 used at the Wiggly Mini Mall. Okay. But you don't get the Nico Belichick storyline in that disc. You only get the, I want to say Sons of Anarchy, but that's not it, Lost and Damned. (laughs) You get the Lost and Damned story and the Gay Tony, a ballad of Gay Tony story on that disc, which, to be honest, I enjoyed both of those stories more than I enjoyed the um, original story with Nico Belichick, or Lick, or Belick, Bilick. Bilick. Unlike those two previous stories with Nico and um, the other character's name in the Lost and the Damned is Johnny Klelbitz, I believe. Yeah, uh, yeah. unlike those stories, uh, uh-huh. you're playing as Luis Lopez, who's essentially a, a bodyguard for Gay, gay Tony. I see. And um, you're already at the top. It's not like your rags to riches story. You're already there. So you have a whole bunch of access to all the resources that being at top will give you. So it's not that climb to the top story. It's, it's a little more dynamic than the other two stories. Hmm. Hey, um, Kyle, just to interrupt you, uh, you know what I like? What's this? The sonnet of Jean Jean who's in between. Do they have that on there? Why wouldn't they? That's a lie. They don't have that yet. <laughs> no, they don't. That's what um, I'm waiting for. There's a few nods to the original story. It's um, a litany of characters who are colorful and stereotypical in nature. Okay. And the graphics are slightly improved, but the GTA 4 engine is starting to show its age. Hmm. Uh, but I, you know, I, if you look at the original game and then you look at this game, you see that there's a few adjustments to make it a little prettier. New weapons and vehicles, including finally a tank. And uh, some of the game's highlights include all the little missions that you can hunt down things and or racing or do the drug wars. But my favorite would have to be the base jumping with a parachute, which is just wow. completely awesome. Yeah, that's a good song. Using the parachute and base jumping is definitely one of the game's highlights. I enjoyed it a lot. The standard story, the the basic story is going to run you about 20 hours of gameplay, which is pretty cool considering the game's only about $20. Yeah. Uh, And there's plenty of side missions and activities to keep you coming back. This is a great example of what DLC should be. I got another good example of what DLC should be. Do it. New Super Mario Brothers. There you go. Yeah, that should be... (laughs) <laughs> a downloadable game, but unfortunately it's not. It's yeah. printed on this. And it's going to rock you probably 60 bucks. Right. So, no, but this is, you know, this is a great example of what DLC should be. The Grand Theft Auto team gave this this huge stage of Liberty City, and they just keep giving these additions of different stories and weapons, vehicles. It's cheaper for them to do it that way. It's cheaper for us to enjoy it. And we don't have to keep getting discs. Now we just download some content and keep enjoying the same game. Another great example would probably be Burnout Paradise, where you yeah. keep going back to the same game. And both these games that, uh, that I've given an example of are relatively old, but you still get a lot of enjoyment out of them. Yeah. And um, it's a shame because this is the last episode that they'll be doing, and then they're going to move on to the next Grand Theft Auto, which I oh. imagine would be called Grand Theft Auto Five. but don't quote me on that. But it gives me high hopes of what the future could bring. I would have liked other things like 
perhaps you were working as a detective in Liberty City uh, police force or something like that. Like, there's so many uh, different angles you can go when you have this huge stage. The uh, possibilities are endless, really. Yeah. Hackam, what else we got then, yo? Hello. Playing fat. Hello. Am I? Hello. Hello. Can I hear you? Yeah. Yes. You roboted right. out a little bit. Oh, so. I did, huh? Fat Princess on the PlayStation 3. Hold on. PS3. Go ahead. Finally got that, huh? Yeah, it's going to rock you $14.99. Yeah, we both picked it up. Uh, what did you think? Well, you you requested I do it so that I could play against you, and I've yet to play against you. But uh, when this came out, a lot of people were not liking it. They weren't digging it. And it's I played it, step. and I was like, well, this takes forever just to, to defeat an area, I think. Oh, the game uh, itself? Yeah, yeah, it's difficult. I found that there's been a lot of patches recently, but when I first purchased the game, it was taking a very long time to find a game. Yeah. Two to 32 players can play at once, and this is another example of a game that is not meant for the lone wolves. This is why I asked you to pick up the game, because gotcha. there's not... And I'm starting I'm starting to phase out of my honeymoon period, period <laughs> with uh, PlayStation 3. Okay. Nobody has a headset, and yeah. this is a game that really, <laughs> if it was on Xbox Live, probably would be a bigger hit than it is on the PlayStation, sure. because... Nobody's communicating. There's the friend hookups. Uh, I don't know what's happening. If there are groups of people in there or not, everybody is running around. It's chaotic. Yeah. They're so all doing when their I was playing thing. the game, I was getting very frustrated because there's five classes uh, mm-hmm. that you can choose from. You can be a warrior, a mage, a worker, a ranger, or a priest. And you uh, change your class live by putting on different hats in a castle. Or a pick, la Kid Chameleon. Or picking up someone else's, uh, somebody that you defeat, their hat. Correct. The problem with this is most people go for the warrior or the yeah. mage or the ranger. Sure. And not the worker or the priest class yeah, because the worker class is just running around collecting resources and upgrading the other classes. Yeah. And the priest class is a healer. Yeah. So after a couple of hours of just being completely frustrated <laughs> with my teammates, I was like, you know what? I'm going to be the supportive class. So I ran up. I became the priest. I started healing everybody. Lo and behold, now we're doing great. And I'm racking up the points, up the wazoo. Yeah. And I was at the top of my uh, teammates, as far as points were concerned, because I was just being a supportive unit. Right. That's all I was the entire game, was a priest. And yet we were able to win the game. This is the problem with these type of games. There has to be a, a communication and a gel between all the parties involved. And when you don't have a standard headset in every box yeah. and everyone's coming from different angles of all different age groups, it's tough to have that happen. I'm going to break in with a piece of advice for all PS3 users. Go on Amazon, go on Wiggly's Mini Mall, get a 5 to $15 Bluetooth headset and pair it up with your PS3. You don't have to get the $50 Sony one. Right. Any Bluetooth headset is going to pair with your PS3. Right. Now, I, I looked out because I had 5,000 Dave & Buster tickets on a Dave & Buster card. <laughs> well, and uh, I was originally planning to buy 16 million spider rings. Yeah. <laughs> but when I saw that there was a Bluetooth headset in my ticket price range, I picked it up. And it ended up being the PlayStation 3 Bluetooth headset. That's great. It is great. It's also uh, annoying because uh. it do- it's not like the Xbox where... 
plug and play, it's on, we're talking, we're chatting. I got to constantly go back in and turn this Bluetooth headset on every single time I go to play the game. And if I don't do it before I start the game in Fat Princess, I don't hear anything. Mm. So I go out, I hook it back up. Now it's working. I have to jump back in. And now I'm having trouble finding a match. There's a lot of (laughs) annoying things going on in the PlayStation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they have great commercials. Oh, I'm sure many people will be complaining about those commercials. Uh, yes. Uh, like you said, the the game, it's got like a cutesy art style. Yes. It's very gory. And it's, there's a lot of funny things happening as far as the voiceovers and the title screen. You know, it asks you, are you going to play with others or are you going to play with yourself? You know, it's kind of cute and funny. Right. But um, <laughs> there's the, the community aspect of this game is lacking. And that's why I'm... Uh, Asking the listeners of We Talk Games, if you do have a PlayStation 3, feel free to go to wetalkgames.com, sign up, join our forums, you'll see my PlayStation 3 ID, and yes, feel free to send me friend requests, as did Ouch and PM Punk. Big shout out to them. Hopefully soon I'll be able to play a game with you guys. Great. But hey, I- Ouch is going to be on today's show. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So, but yeah, if we could get together, have a game night, that would be fantastic, and I think this game would be a lot of fun doing that but until then eh, mixed bag yeah hey i gotta tell you on this title uh like i said i went in there not expecting a lot because people were disappointed with it but as as i said it took forever to complete one level i was just playing by myself but i played it through the whole level so there was enough in there to interest me and make me want to do it like like you said it's, it's a mixed bag but it's not a bad game at all the uh, single-player story mode is a little bit frustrating because you're dealing with the AI, mm-hmm. and it seems like it does take forever to get through those boards. Uh, real quick, before we leave Fat Princess, there are four modes of gameplay that okay. I didn't talk about. There's Rescue the Princess, obviously, which is like Capture the Flag. Yep. Then there's Snatch and Grab, where you have your princess already, but you're trying to grab the other one instead of your princess already being captured. Uh, team Deathmatch, which essentially is just rack up as many kills as possible in a set amount of time. And then Invasion, where it's a territory grab where you hit check marks. There's also a soccer slash football mode that nobody plays. <laughs> so while we're on the PlayStation 3, let's talk about a fascinating title. I don't know how I will uh, describe this because earlier when you and I were discussing it, you said it wasn't a game. Linger in the Shadows. Now, you talked about this before. Yeah, I said it was like TR1 for the CDI, the the Todd Rundgren uh, uh, interactive video, make my own video type of thing. And it had that feel. It's, it's not just like it, but both were equally unique. Yeah, I would probably describe it as a giant piece of crap not worth your two ninety nine. You probably would get more enjoyment out of playing some of the full motion video games on the Sega CD than you would playing this game. Okay? And this is one of those things where it's like, I'm artsy because I say I am! Which is just obnoxious, disingenuous, and annoying. So... Public service announcement, uh, do not waste your $3 on this turd. I had had $3 left. I saw that Wiggly had played this game, and I'm like, oh, maybe it's a good game. What is this? You know, it's interesting. The screenshots looked interesting. And essentially what it is is you're watching a video and then rewinding it and fast-forwarding it to find the creator's names. Giant turd, do not buy. Hey, it's not really a game. I never said it was a game. It's nothing. It is essentially it is nothing. It's, it's gorgeous. It's a waste of your three dollars. Save up your money. It's Don't great use music. It. It's a. It's and see now. Here's the thing: nice. is that it turned me off so bad toward this. Two ninety nine mark. <laughs> that I don't know if I want to get this. It's detuned. 
game that's on there where oh. it interacts with the music uh-huh. from your uh, media server. Right. I don't know if I want to play that now, or, or rather, I don't know if I want to purchase that now because it sounds interesting. But I was so horribly disappointed with this Linger in the Shadows crap that I don't know if I want to pick this up. Well, you could and, demo these things, you know. Some of see, these things have I demos. I don't think you could demo Linger in the Shadows. I'm pretty sure you can, but as you What would you, you have, demo? 30 as, seconds of the video? That's exactly what you do. But as you pointed out, uh, it is very difficult to find demos for games in the PS3 store still. The PlayStation Store... It's a little uh, the, sloppy. Yeah. The only way that you can find demos is by going to the demo section, and that's it. Uh, like, and then, by the time you start browsing through the demo section, you forget what you were even looking for. Yeah, see, you know, I it got... It doesn't match up one-to-one, so... Mm. Now, but, if, you, um, if you would yeah. know your product as well, yeah. I mentioned that if you sign up for the core, the core, the thing you should be getting for free anyway, right. if you if you do a subscription to this, a yearly subscription to core, you mm. get this game for free. What? <laughs> so I waste my $3 for yeah. nothing? Why, do you, do you have core? No, I do not. Oh, well, then, then you then you didn't waste... Well, you did waste it because you didn't like it. But I like Core. I'm one of the Core supporters. I don't think it should be, you know, necessarily a pay I service. I see that you're a uh, PlayStation Home supporter, too. You're putting up <laughs> polls about zombie... Really? Do you care about this stuff? Or are you just... <laughs> Got nothing else to do on the PlayStation. If you don't know, there was like a poll inside of home to keep zombie attire. You wear it. You wear- <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Keep talking. Hey, I got to tell you, that's the only thing keeping home going is these little gimmicks that give you like one step closer to being something actually enjoyable, but we're still not there yet. Home reminds me of an AOL chat room circa 97 <laughs> where like there's that. a bunch of dudes pretending to be women yeah, asking you if it. you want to cyber or not. That is it. That is exactly what's awesome. going on there. Yeah. Oh, uh, before we leave Linger in the uh, poop, um, uh, there was somebody who wrote in a couple weeks ago about playing games to get achievements or trophies. Yeah. Hey, we're going to hook them up this episode. We're going to have our first Fantastic. ever More time. achievement. Um, I didn't want my $3 to <laughs> demise in vain or whatever. Yeah. So what I did was I uh, I'm like, all right, I'm going to get every single trophy possible in this turd. And that so I went is on Game what, Facts and did it, and yeah. it was actually more enjoyable doing that. And that, and that is what Linger and Shadows is also good for the yeah. points. Exactly. Now I also picked up Call of Duty Modern Warfare Two. I really haven't dived into it too much. I played a lot of multiplayer, and so far I'm enjoying it. You're not cutting any breaks on the Wiggly Mini Mall. You can pick it up for $59.99 new if you want to support the show, or around $45.99 used. So, yeah. Speaking of that, when you yeah. do purchase from Wiggly, it's like Mini a flea Mall, market. Yeah. As I will probably explain in the future, and I'll re-remind everyone, uh, I was able to get DJ Hero thanks to uh, my Amazon Bucks Kicksbacks. I got it for a negative nineteen dollars. Fantastic! Yeah, so that does help. It helps uh, helps me be able to review an actual game for this episodic show. Yeah, speaking of the PS3 and about the big red uh, gimmick there, the Netflix. Ring of uh, death. Yeah, no, 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 no. The Netflix. Oh. The other. The other big red thing. Right. Um, I did receive my instant streaming disc for PS3 PlayStation, and you know this Netflix and PS3. They they had to print up these DVDs Those together like high C and turkey. 
Yeah, it does. But I mean, they had to print up these DVDs so you could do the streaming, and right, that you know, makes sense. it's special packaging and everything else. Yeah, well, I, well, I know, but I mean, this is a this is a big expenditure. Yeah, even down to the packaging, they have their own, you know, Sony PS3 packaging when you get this in the mail. Oh, like a, a game type of card, like a case, or what does well, it look like? No, it's it's the standard Netflix paper that you get okay. your stuff in. But I mean, you know, they still had a this someone had to print this. It didn't just magically appear on here PS3. Right. So, you know, a lot of a lot of work had to go into this of course campaign and 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 what campaign doesn't get a lot of work, but I mean, this is uh this is a big deal, I guess, to somebody. Sure. So you get your big red thing. Now, if, you, if you're not a member of Netflix, uh, you can go to Wigglysworld.com, and in my upper right corner, I always have a Netflix membership. And you can join just with that, whatever, eight ninety nine a month or whatever uh, my special offer is. And then right. you can you add digital for like another dollar or something. I'm not sure how that works. So if you're not already a member of Netflix, uh, I, I highly recommend it, especially for the streaming stuff. Um, and if you own a 360 or a PS3, uh, this this is this will be good for you. So I got my PS3 disc. I stick it in, and then of course you have to browse to it like any other DVD. Right. And you are treated by the big red Netflix splash screen. I don't think I've seen such pure red. On my um, on my television, did you uh, go into a blind rage? <laughs> I did not, uh, but it, it seems like you know it, it's this just giant field of red, and a Netflix font is like you know uh, maybe a two point font or something in the middle of this big field of red, and then uh, you're greeted with your the interface, which is also very large in comparison to browsing on the Xbox um, interface. You can also continue watching previous shows that you may have started on your Xbox or on your personal computer or whatever. You can resume watching where you left off. Oh, very good. So it's nice that that works across everything. It works you know, from your computer, from your Xbox, from your PS3. So that's, that's really neat. I also did try out an HD stream, although it was very hard for me to find an HD movie that I actually wanted to even try to start watching. Because most of these movies that just came out, I don't even want to watch in regular D. Right. So uh, finally, I finally settled on, I don't you know. You want to watch Truth About Love in HD? or <laughs> I think it was. Uh, I think I watched Babysitters. Oh, that's uh, my favorite. <laughs> yeah. Well, I got to tell you, the first one minute was fine, and it looked mm. great. And you know, you can still see some artifacts from from the HD streams. And I have I have a very good connection. But I did notice one thing on my PS3 that I have not noticed on my Xbox, and that is some audio sync problems with some programs. Row, and there's no way yet to compensate for for audio video syncing. That's not good. So no, that is not good. That is not good. But here you go. You are finally able to do the Netflix Eureka as long as you put in a DVD to watch a streaming video, which <laughs> it's, it's, video, it's, yeah. it's amazing. It's amazing Arr! stuff. <laughs> hey, you know what else I put in uh, while we're on PS3 before yeah. we get off this? If you don't know, I got married recently to Chiz, and uh, that was an on-air proposition. And not as quite as uncomfortable as what last episode was with Stinky and uh, TT, but we can't talk about that. That was very uncomfortable. Yes. Uh, we were both there live. It was even yeah. grosser because you could really hear the slopping sounds uh, live on the PA system. But I got married, and Yolanda, uh, very special to all the shows, 
Tekken 6 for the PlayStation 3, and you were actually supposed to play this with me yeah, uh, when so you went to stop by the other day. Yeah. But I completely forgot I got about to meet it. Elon's in person, too. Yeah, that's great. That's very yeah. good. It's nice when the whole community gets together. So I put this thing in now. Believe me, I haven't. Uh, I, I wanted to try to start playing it, but uh, I guess I picked the wrong mode, and I'm watching the history of Tekken uh. in like a, a pseudo, when it, you know, one of these new type of digital comics, animated okay. comic type of formats, but it's right. done all in gray brush strokes, and it's, it's kind of... Mm, I I don't know if I, I'm totally sold on the art style for retelling of Tekken, but it wasn't bad. It was it was pretty good, and I watched every single thing. And then the neat thing about it is, as it's trying to relate this story to you, which you know makes <laughs> almost no sense anyway. Um, even if you know sure, the entire story, <laughs> yeah, that's that's all, that's all you need to know about Tekken. Right. Well, and, and, and pandas fight. And dumping people into volcanoes after you defeat them. I love that. And so they, they recount that, like, you know, the, but in the upper left corner, it tells you Tekken, Tekken 2, Tekken 3, Tekken 4, Tekken 5, and now you're at Tekken 6. And then I started playing, and all of a sudden, it's like the Tobal dungeon element. So I didn't even pick the fighting things, and, and I decided to watch the entire story. Because right. all of a sudden, 15 minutes had passed, and I said, listen, I'm already in it. I might, might as well not press start yeah. yet. Might as well right. finish this. No return. <laughs> yeah. So after about 20 minutes of this opening animation thing, I started playing the Tobolish uh, type. And I know that they introduced this story mode in, in other versions of Tekken. But this version really reminded me of Tobol, except that it was like in a forest. And even in Tobol... Uh, I, I loved the dungeon parts. I loved building my characters. I loved doing all that. I enjoy it in, in this version of Tekken 6 as well, but by no means is it a good game, that portion of it. I, 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 can, I sort of equate this to an iPod Touch game with HD silicon graphic characters. <laughs> Um, okay. You know, it's it's not really that great of a game, but for some reason, it it's endearing to me. Uh, I I don't know why, but there's a lot of gab in it, and there's a lot of parts that you're not even playing, and then you do fight for like you know 13 seconds, and then you defeated all the people there, and then you watch more cutscenes uh, for a half hour. So uh, that's what you get with that part of the the game. I'll, hopefully, I'll talk about this more uh, next month. Hey, you know what? I'm going to do my uh, contest. All right. Oh, all right, Stinky. Now, highlight of the show. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, because we uh, we're going to take off January and March and, and April. Now wait a second. Where I don't. Show, I didn't. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't really know how this is going to go, but I think somehow January I might be working solely on music, and I'm not sure about this. Yeah, I'm not sure about this, but I know that we won't we won't skip a month. We will have something going on in the month of January for We Talk Games, but I don't know how that content's going to go about. I don't even know if it will happen. So don't don't say it's stinky. But I know that the, this contest that we're planning is going to be a multi month contest. Spoilers. Yeah, whatever. Hey, listen, I I gotta go. Uh, right, where was um, the contest? Yeah. Listen, many people will will win. None will enter. Just like our other contest. But what you want to do is this is this is a super duper ooper pooper cooper duper pooper pooper pee pee poo poo. Yes. Contest. Hey, remember that game I used to like? Gorf. I don't know. What did you used to like? Yeah, which game? Pee pee poo poo. Ah, oh, yes. Yeah, I remember. And I asked, what system was that for? And what did you say? 
My pants. Uh. <laughs> okay, so my contest is that uh, you know how our shows are always stacked. They are always stacked. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the the contest is a one or two color design for a T-shirt that somehow conveys how stacked we talk games is. Oh, all right. That's wow, okay. good. It's good. We're finally working in our catchphrase about the show being stacked. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you goof. All right. So, yeah, well, I'll just take over. Whatever you could think of, however you want to work in stacked in a show being rules? stacked. Like, can you not use the word stacked or anything? Like you have to use stacked. Okay. And it, ha- it somehow has to convey the message that We Talk Games is consistently stacked. And uh, and it's in, in a t-shirt design. It can be one or two color design. And you can use the shirt as a color as well. That would be smart to do that, to design the shirt color <laughs> into the design. Yeah, yeah I try really to. make the use of the limited palette we're yeah. giving you. I've tried that a couple times. I, I don't it's think. It's tough. Oh, you know what? We did work it out on our, on our logo shirt. So now is your chance yes. to be a big logo store. Now, this contest will run a full two months. So we oh. won't be judging this until February Wow. The cutoff date for this is, you'll never guess, February oh, wow. 7th. Yeah, that's right. So what are the prizes? Oh, right. Uh, oh, he took his headphones off. Hey, Stink, get back on the mic. What? You forgot to mention what the prizes were going to be. Oh, yeah. Well, there's kind of a reason for that. Uh, Wickack Flickleys, they uh, sort of uh, don't know yet because... This is what's oh, called this is what's called We Talk Games Multiple Chosen Singular Variable Possibility Prize Package. One of the following three choices, not that you make, it's pre-chosen in the future of a variable of singular possibilities. Everybody's a winner. But one of these premium gift packages will be yours, should you be creative and come up with the stacked t-shirt. And you know what? Just What's that? this, just in in my earpiece. <laughs> uh, you don't have to draw if you don't want to. Too, you could just say what you think it is, and then I'll get out my MS Paint and a couple of sharpies I got. Yes, I think he's pretty creative. I've seen him uh, make many masterpieces with Corel Draw. Hey, I got the whole suite. I know you picked it up in the bargain bin at Staples. Eight dollars for OS seven point five. How do you go wrong? I just use clone on a dot, and then I do yeah, that. He does a good job. All right, Stink, just tell us what the multiple choices that they don't make is. All right, well, the first uh, first prize that you might win, should it be chosen and should you be chosen, is a lifetime supply of chocolate. <laughs> okay. The second prize is... Stinky Wonka. Whatever. Uh, hey, you know, you want your own show? Go ahead. I'm sorry, uh, The second... A prize that you might win, should you win, and if it's chosen by other people, not you, to win, is an all-night paid expenses date with T.T. Schmootkins. That's hot. Hey, if you think I'm going to let some prepubescent internet dweeb come over, I'm trying to tune in Tokyo. You're off your rocker. You've cracked your pot. I guess that one's out, Stink. Yeah, I don't think that's happening. Well, hey, it says it is. So I don't know. No way, Jose. And number three would be a hundred bucks in cash, plus the prestige of being associated with the world's most stacked video game audio magazine, 
that occurs every month. Well, that's the one I'm hoping for. That sounds a little more realistic. All right, yeah. Stink, thanks. You can go back to whatever you were doing watching the Thank television. you, Stinky, the Game Master. Is that it, man? That isn't it. Oh. Uh, but well, this you're is over more your time. just a quick discussion about a franchise that I've already expressed my love for, and so did you, and that would be Rocket Knight Adventures. Hey, uh, Tom Hewlett's on the show today. Exactly. And I just, I was so excited about hearing that uh, new Rocket Knight would be coming out for the different stores. It's a downloadable game, mm-hmm. uh, the 2.5D type of deal where it's a fresh you know, face on an old franchise. And uh, I went back and I played Rocket Knight Adventures. Sparkster for the Genesis and Sparkster for the Super Nintendo. Okay. And just to stir up those nostalgic notions again or those emotions. And I got to say, after playing those games, I am very excited about this new title. There, I, I, for me, I can only imagine how awesome it's going to be. Well, we'll talk to Tom, see what he, he has to tell us because, you know, I'm worried about it. We're all worried about it. We'll find out what's going on right from the horse's mouth, as they say. Or in this case, the possums. The possums. Possums snout. If you haven't played those games, you can find them on the cheap. Go to Wiggly Mini Mall if you still have the systems. If not, there's other ways you can play those games. Sure, sure. But enjoy them. Right on, pal. Hey, well, uh, you know, the normal. Keith will put you on hold. Come back for the council. I will be there. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Kyle Von Kubik from We Talk Games and Heroes of Gravitron. All right, Keith, who's next in queue? I don't even have a run sheet yet. Okay. Somebody, TT, go get me that or something. Uh, okay, Jade. All right, great, great. Open the line, Keith. Oklahoma City! Oklahoma! Oh, Jaden. Jade, are yo, you there? Yo, what, what, what's up? Yo, man, hey, I haven't heard from you in a while. It's been a couple episodes. Uh, y- yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm a horrible friend. That's all it is. All right, well, yeah, but I, I know you're uh, you're getting busy with the, you're getting jiggy with it, as the kids say. Oh. Yeah, yeah, got my new album in process right now, working on a new CD. Yes. Give it a little shout-out on here since I've got a, a second. I hope you don't mind too much. But uh, those who want to listen to it, I'm posting the songs up for free on a, uh, a blog just for the album. Oh. It's it's at theeternalmusic.blogspot.com. Hey, why charge for it when you can give it away? Exactly. I'm never going to be rich off music, so I'm just having fun writing it and sharing it now. That is a great way to be, and I can appreciate that, and that's awesome. What do you got for us on the We Talk Games when we're talking about them? I got four games for you this time to make up for all the time I've been away. Very good. Let's see. I'll go ahead and start with a uh, an oldie but a goodie that's come back on a new platform. Uh, Doom Classic just came out for the iPhone a couple weeks ago. Hold on. We're talking old school Doom. You played it on your computer and your parents got mad because it was so violent and gory (laughs) and it's so pixelated. But yeah, it's one of the best games ever written, I think. Yeah, yeah. Boy, I'll tell you what, in the the game creating community, it is definitely an inspiration for uh, many of the, the current programmers. Exactly. And I think almost every console 
you get all the uh, the geeks out there going, hey, can this console run Doom? Well, not only does the iPhone run it, uh, the creator of the game, I believe his name is, uh, you can probably correct me because I'm terrible with names, John Carmack? I think that's how I've heard it said. Mm-hmm. He said that not only is the iPhone going to run Doom, it's going to play Doom. He uh, went in and totally redid the control scheme. Oh, good. There's, there's like six or seven different control schemes for this game. Very good, because I was so, worried about, you know, anytime you have a, a an adaption of any sort of game, unless it's a some type of labyrinth-style maze game... You know, it, it were it's worrisome when you only have touch controls to make it happen and and velocity sensors. Right, right. Now I played uh, Wolfenstein when they released that about uh, a few months back, and I thought the controls were wonderful. But okay. on Doom, they really, really expanded it to make it viable for everybody. Oh, great! I mean, you can go in with uh, just the regular touch to move forward, back, rotate, and fire. Or you can have a joystick on both sides. Uh, You can have one that strafes left to right and moves forward and back, and you tilt it to rotate. Mm. Uh, There's all kinds of different control schemes for it. Okay. How much does that rock you? Only $6.99. Ooh. And I have a feeling that uh, a lot of these games on the iPhone are going to be going on sale for uh, Black Friday. Yeah, I hope so. That would be really cool. That would be great. Crash the App Store. Exactly. I plan on doing that myself if the prices are good enough. Yeah. Uh, one really nice thing I wanted to mention about the Doom game is for all the geeks out there that like to be techie with it, yeah. if, if you touch the screen with four fingers and hold it for a couple seconds, you actually get a command prompt and you can type in all kinds of codes to edit the game. All your god modes and stuff. That's great. Exactly. All the original codes are still there. IDDQD, IDKFA. That's great. That's cool. All still there. That's really cool. Yeah, it's definitely uh, a major time sink for me right now. And there's uh, serious talks about Doom 2 just being released as a free update for it at some point. Oh, that would be awesome. Definitely worth the 7 bucks in my mind. All right. All right. Very good. You know what I've been uh, playing on my uh, iPod Touch? What are you playing? The Wish app. That's where wish you, app. yeah. That's where you wish you could find your iPod. You know how you, sometimes you lose your iPod or your game system, and then you know no, you I've find it. Oh, you never lost any of them. Uh, sometimes I misplace things, and you know I find them. I have not found my iPod in two weeks. That's not good. Yeah, I'm sad. Well, mine's an iPhone now, so I ah, have track of it. Very good. Very yeah. That that I see. I I, I I mean, I lose my phone every now and then when I put it through the washer, but that's about it. It's always down in there, then. I find it in the dryer. Wow. <laughs> what else you got for the for the system I no longer have? I'll give you one more iPhone one. This one's okay. totally, uh, totally different aspect than uh, Doom. And this is close to my heart, being uh, studying for my entomology degree right now. Oh. It's a game, game called Spider, The Secret of Bryce Manor. Well, there you and, go. It's got Bryce in it. Exactly. Best you referee know, in my- wrestling. I wholeheartedly agree. And he's got the greatest t-shirts, too. He does. But yeah, you can pick up this game for two ninety nine in the App Store, okay. so not a really big investment. And uh, the, as I said, the geeky bug guy in me absolutely eats this up because you play the game as a spider. Okay. The levels are essentially puzzles. Um, you have to crawl around on the different terrain that's around, and you're spinning webs to catch bugs in and eat them. The more bugs you eat, the more web you can spin. So you got to be kind of cautious about how much you're using. Mm-hmm. I see. As you go through the game, the backgrounds, if you pay attention to them, are telling a story about a uh, family where, uh, as far as I've made it so far, it seems like everyone's died. And you're trying to find out their history as you go along. Hmm. And it's, it's incredibly interesting just to follow that. Who makes this? 
tiger style. Oh, okay. Because it sounds it's just odd that uh, that the other game where I've played a spider, which was the Deadly Creatures for the Wii, which was an oddball title. Uh, you know, you're you're going around, you're you're being a spider and other deadly creatures, as the name implies, and you're spinning your webs, eating, munching on bugs and things and in the while in the background some other stuff's going on but i guess this is a completely different this looks almost is this like a side scrolling or multi yeah this is totally two-dimensional side scroller nothing too fancy about it that's neat i i think any game where you play some type of arachnid or other type of predatory bug like or snake creature you should have a a totally unrelated backstory going on around you Exactly. It draws in the people unlike me that just don't want to play this as a spider. They want people. Very good. Now, can you be different types of spiders, or is it you're limited to one spider? Uh, as far as I've seen so far, I'm about halfway through the game, and it's all been the same spider. Okay, and what type of spider was that? Uh, it's just a standard wood spider. Uh, Nothing fancy, but still, okay. it's fun to be the spider for once. Sure, sure. What else we got? I'll jump over to the DS now. We got uh, Scribble Knots. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I started this. Yeah, this is uh, definitely a unique title. Essentially, the game is different puzzles, and you have to come up with stuff out of thin air to solve the puzzle. And you can come up with anything. I mean, you can type in Cthulhu. You can type in Sombrero. Really? Cthulhu? Cthulhu works. Dude, Atheist works. Oh, that's fantastic. You'll actually get a little Richard Dawkins on the screen. I'm not even making this up. (laughs) I don't know how you would use a Richard Dawkins to get up to a higher level or peel a banana. Yeah, I haven't figured that out yet, but I will tell you the one where there was a cat trapped on a roof and you have to help the little girl get it. I typed in arsonist and had the guy burn the house down so the cat would jump off. <laughs> that is great. You get you get awarded points for how creative your solution to the puzzle is. Yeah. Ah, I get You know, some I, of these can stump you for hours. That's great. Truly some outrageous information. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I've, uh, I'll have i let you know, I've used Cthulhu to wipe out a few uh, piranhas a couple times. Very good. And again, it's all about the creativity. Wow. But it's definitely a time sink. I will warn you, it's going to take a lot of your time because you won't want to put it down. And that, that's what you do. You, you, uh, you type uh, words uh, to help you solve puzzles. Yep, and there's a full dictionary available if you want to see what word's in it. But it's it's got a lot. I mean, more than I could ever imagine being in a game like this. Great. I'll go to my last game here, and this is the uh, the one game that I'm not going to be very positive on right now. Oh, that's sad, because so many games have come out in November. Getting ready for the big holiday push. I know we have a lot of, a lot of biggie, 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 biggie titles, a lot of titles that uh, people associated with this show were looking forward to, and this is one of them, I guess. Yeah, and the fail is strong with this one. <laughs> it's uh, the WWE Raw vs. SmackDown 2010, and I'm judging from the Xbox 360 version, so your I mileage see. may vary a little bit. Yeah, but, not much, probably. Uh, Why did they take a step back with this game? I cannot figure this out for the life of me. Um, I will say on the uh, the press release they sent me with my review copy, I love how they spent about half a page bragging about button controls for the DS version <laughs> and how revolutionary that was. Instead of controlling it with a pen like, like that last time. That was funny. I, I literally was rolling on the floor laughing when I read that full half page about that. Yeah. But uh, again, this is about the 360 version. Okay. This, 
one of the big things they were bragging about is they've totally redone the Royal Rumble format from the ground up. Okay. Well, now, I, th- I haven't played the Royal Rumble format. I've played this on the PSP, and I did a little bit for my first time ever on the Wii, and I said, oh, this is the PSP version. I'll just continue playing the PSP version. But um, I didn't try the Royal Rumble. So, so how is this rebuilt, redesigned Royal Rumble? Well, first things first, I'll tell you, don't try the Royal Rumble. <laughs> uh, the, the number one thing I noticed that was really bothering me is now you can gang up on someone to help flip them out. Okay. Like you would in reality. Sure. But the problem is when two or three people are trying to flip you and those two or three are computers. Yeah. It's all there's over. no way to stop them from flipping you out. Yeah. And there's nothing it, worse than, than starting fairly early in a rumble and then, you know, right at the end getting ganged up on and. Exactly. It's it's so much easier to have that happen to you now. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I noticed, it only can handle six people in the ring at a time. Okay. And when it does, there's actually some video choppiness that starts happening. Uh-huh. And the next person won't come out until the person who's been eliminated slowly makes their way around the <laughs> ring and slowly to the back. And they're completely gone. <laughs> That's great. So there can be... From the time you eliminate someone, three or four minutes before the next person comes out. The other things I've got complaints about on this is uh, when it comes to the story modes. And that's because it has matches that are next to impossible to win. Hmm. And when I say next to impossible, I mean I played each of these matches 20 or 30 times before I was able to win them. You mean to hit all the, the goals of the match, like use 18 finishing moves on in three seconds no i mean okay. trying to escape a steel cage oh yeah that's always a problem when, when the computer opponent <laughs> no matter how many times you hit them with a finisher yeah will be up yeah. in less than two seconds yeah those are always the worst and then if they pull you down off the cage you stay down off the cage yeah. for eight nine seconds even yeah. though you haven't taken a single shot the whole match yeah yep been there and then another match that's required in one of the story modes is uh, you have to fight. It's originally a fatal four-way, but you work oh. your way into it. Uh-huh. And it gives you the uh, recommendation, throw some people out of the ring. It'll make it easier to win. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've yet to get past a one count on that match in 30 or 40 up. tries. Yeah. It's always broken up, and I can't even just give up and let the computer win. Wow. Well, hey, now's the time for TNA two to come out and give people an escape but I, I i thought this was such a step back just in the like the points not the point system but the way that this that the matches progress you don't have a power bar you don't have a charisma bar you don't have uh, parts of your body that are that you can work over or work over your opponent's body all that's gone and now you just have this flattened out you underneath yeah, it's a your circle underneath you <laughs> what's something. Yeah, with like an arrow, and then now I got an S, and now I got a P. Uh. I, I will give it one positive thing. Okay. And I, I think that is that they took the uh, the UFC game that came out a uh-huh. while back, and they kind of copied the control system a little bit to make it more fluid. Okay. And I definitely think the controls themselves were very well done. I had a hard time figuring out how to do the Irish whip. Yeah, that takes a little bit. Okay. Uh, once you figure it out, it's actually pretty comfortable to do. Okay, very good. But uh, I don't overall, read my instructions. Is, that's my problem. Yeah, overall, the game is not really worth picking up. Yeah. S- stick with your older copies. Stick with last year's. Yeah, exactly. I, I just can't say hardly anything good about it. 
And again, if you want to read my full review on that, you can catch that uh, probably in the next couple of days over at gamesareevil.com. Okay, very good. Gamesareevil.com. Are you still uh, doing the uh, reviews every now and again for them? Every now and again. Fantastic. Hey, As Jay. my schedule permits. Right on, man. Hey, thanks for taking time out of your recording sessions to uh, drop some games on us, uh, especially now since I really can't uh, comment on the iPhone. Yeah, we're going to have to fix that. i got to find it. I'm hoping I left it at the GoGo Studios. All right, man. Hey, take care of yourself. Keep in touch, and we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good, man. Bye. Keep it easy. Jaden, Twitter.com, The Eternal. I'm feeling better. I'm feeling better, Keith. Thanks for asking. Oh, this is great. Let's open the lines. Konami is on the other end of the blower right now. Open it up, Keith. El Segundo, go! Tom Hewlett on the line from Konami, Konami headquarters. Hi, Tom. How's it going? Oh, it's going great. Oh, good. Very good. Just to let you know, uh, the We Talk Games Committee for Podcast Conformity and Listener Integration, as you know them uh, quite frequently as the Wet Gack Flickleys, have required that I do this interview, only this segment of the show, as if I'm just getting over the swine flu. Now, this is to elicit sympathy from our older viewers. And also, I heard that it's really hip with the kids, the swine flu. So this will help resonate with the youths of today. Now, speaking of youth, Tom, you're kind of young. You're like a 30-year-old youngster. Yeah, uh, I've, I've been in the industry for a while, though. Yeah, you've been in the industry like 20 years. Yeah, since I was 12. How did that happen? Well, I was pretty good at games when I was a kid, and my dad knew a guy at Virgin Games. What kind of games did you? were you good at? Was I good at? Yeah. Um, everything on the Nintendo, pretty much. You know, be Mario's, your Mega Man's, you name it. How about Rob the Robot? <laughs> um, I actually never had a Rob. I played Gyromite with, I used the second controller to cheat. <laughs> sure you do. Yeah, that's the easy way to do it. So, oh, so your pop got you hooked up with somebody? Yeah, the guy, um, Pete, they, they wanted kids to test their games because I guess uh, people said their games were too hard. And they said, well, no, kids can beat the games. So they brought me in to uh, prove that. And then I kind of had a summer gig testing games for a couple of years. What company was that for? I think I talked Virgin about it. Games. Oh, oh, great. Okay, so you tested, what, Dracula and uh, Mary Shelley's? <laughs> I tested uh, um, a Prince of Persia game. I tested uh, the McDonald's games they made. Oh, cool. Yeah, I like those. And you did work on Heart of the Alien, though, didn't you? I tested Out of This World. Okay, so great. Since Heart of the Alien had that on it, that's right. probably why I counted I see, I see. Yeah, I, I love I love uh, that. No, I, I was happy that they came out for the Sega CD. That was one of the first titles I ever saw for the Amiga, and uh, yeah. I was like blown away as this is this is like watching cinema, <laughs> as long as no one has faces and things. And then from there, you decided to try to start designing games. Yeah, well, the guy I knew at Virgin uh, split off and made his own company called Above the Garage Productions, and. Uh, I got a bunch of money in high school for by designing levels for his game, oh. um, which never came out. Um, so you can't play at those levels. Above the garage, that's like Fonzie. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, in college, I decided to uh, make my own game company, which was called Team Excalibur. Right, and right. We were working on an RPG called Mystery for the Game Boy. Oh, for the Game Boy. Uh, what made you go for the Game Boy development? Because you thought that would be... Uh, it was simpler, yeah. and uh, like we were really into RPGs, so we thought we could make a good one. But it's hard to compete with Final Fantasy VII when <laughs> sure. 
sure. you don't have any money. Sure, sure. So uh, we thought Game Boy would work, and we actually had a really cool demo that some people played, and we had some potential publishers, but that all fell through, and I used some people I met at Atlas to get a job at Atlas, doing some QA and then some localization work for them. Cool. So I liked Atlas. They were a good company. Yeah. And then uh, I got put in charge of some stuff there, like Trauma Center, the uh, surgery game. Sure. Yeah, like those. And then springboarded to Konami. Very good. Have you traveled to Konami of Japan, or are you primarily in Konami of the USA? I never had the privilege to travel to Konami of Japan yet, uh, hopefully in the future. How do the How do the board meetings work? Like, Is there big conference calls, a weekly basis, or what? Oh, I'm below that. I don't get to be in any of the top-secret management meetings. I see, I see. Do you know anything about uh, George Lucas trying to kill pinball? <laughs> no. Yeah, I didn't think they would have anything to do with Konami, but you never know. Uh, you never know if that might trickle down somehow. And when did you start working at Konami? Like, how old were you? Like, 25 or something? Uh, three years ago. Okay, three years ago. Oh, that's good. That's great. And since you started working at Konami, you actually worked on some r- really great games. Most of them are still in future releases. And we might jump around a little bit. The one that's coming out closest to now... I would assume, would be the Silent Hill Shattered Memories. That's right. Now, this is a, this is like a poop-your-pants scary game. I hope so. Yeah. it's I, I saw the, some videos for this. It looks good. It looks scary. And, of course, it's it draws on the things that were set up in the first Silent Hill for the PS1, I guess. Right. We wanted to make a Silent Hill for the Wii, and there were a lot of different ways to do that. But... It wouldn't really be fair to make like a sequel to Homecoming and expect the Wii audience who maybe had never played Silent Hill before mm-hmm. to catch up. And so we thought about this cool idea to remake the first game. But then the movie is similar to the first game, and, and we already did Silent Hill Origins, which uh, is connected to the first game. Right. And Silent Hill 3 is connected to the first game. So we didn't want to betray longtime fans either by giving them something they didn't care about. So we've reimagined the original game so that this one is sort of people who played the original game have certain expectations and how they think the story goes and uh, Shattered Memories actually twists all that and betrays everything they think they know about Silent Hill oh that's great Um, so it's a new experience whether or not you've played the first game but there's a cool layer there if you have played the first game where you know we're screwing with you and uh, stuff like that (laughs) and you can draw the parallels and but yet it's a brand new game and reason to to buy this did you try this uh, Juwan the Grudge I haven't gotten a chance to play that yet, actually. Oh, it's like walking in porridge. <laughs> but, you know, I, I mean, they. I guess, uh, you know, they, they, they push this. I mean, I love the movies. They're, they're great movies. Right. Um, but just from watching the videos of Silent Hill, I, I think uh, this is a game that's really going to grab me a lot more. Uh, and, and be controllable. It looks like it's very com- controllable. And all you are is armed with a flashlight and a cell phone. Now, the cell phone's kind of a new feature. Right. Again, I mean, thinking about the Wii and, and how to make a good Silent Hill game, uh, we didn't want to just feel like we took a Silent Hill game you've played six times already and then threw in some waggle. Sure. Um, so we really wanted to integrate everything. And while we were doing that, we realized we had this opportunity to make it very immersive and not feel like you're playing a game. And so something that always draws you out of the game is when you go to the, the menu to switch your weapon or use a mm-hmm. health item. Or, sure. Because um, it pauses map, everything. Whatever, yeah. Because it sort of stops the game. Yep. So instead, we have the cell phone where when you want to check the map or, or whatnot, um, you just pull up Harry's cell phone and you're still moving around the world so you can still walk around and monsters can still jump on you. 
but your menu's right there in your hand. And so that accesses all your features from map. You can actually make phone calls to sort of talk to characters in the world or get a better sense of Silent Hill. You can take pictures. You save your game that way. So it's really a good feature to, to keep all the things you need from a game, but also feel like a real world and, and keep you immersed. Yeah, that camera phone, that, that really gelled with me, I guess, you know, because of the iPhone ads and the new, uh, all the new types of um, Android interfaces and, and everything that you see with the cell phones and how it's, uh, it, it really, it, it does immerse you in the gameplay. And so that's used to save your, your progress, the, the cell phone, or is it used for clues or what? A little bit of everything. One one thing the old games have, and, and pretty much all old survival horror games have, is you find notes around in the environment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Silent Hill always used those really well, so you'd find um, stories or something creepy that happened there. But it didn't really make sense that there was a note all the time. And so we've also taken that principle and made it more realistic in a lot of ways. And one of those ways is through the phone. I might come into an area and see something strange in the corner, so I pull up my camera I take a picture of the corner, and then an image will appear. Mm. The example we've shown a lot of is that you come to a swing and you take a picture, and there's a girl on the swing right, right. not actually there. And so when you do that, you'll also get a, a voicemail. And so those voicemails kind of replace the notes. Um, you'll also get calls that way to replace the notes, or you'll find um, like an answering machine, and you'll play that, and you'll hear a message. So we still have all those stories throughout the environment and the creepy things that keep you on edge. But they also feel more realistic. They don't feel like someone's leaving notes for no reason. Right on. And speaking of the, the fact that you wanted to develop for the Wii, I think Konami really has brought out some graphic power of the Wii that many other companies, I guess, don't think is, are, is there. The funny thing about the Wii is when you when you try to make a really good graphical game, you can. Um, but one reason we went with Climax is because on the PSP version of Silent Hill Origins, they actually did some really cool things. And I, I think Origins is still one of the better-looking PSP titles. Mm-hmm. So we knew that they could pull off some things that a lot of other publishers don't know is possible on the lower-end platforms. So Right on, right on. Um, we figured they could do that for the Wii, and we were right. I mean, besides enhancing their flashlight technology again, so that looks amazing, and all the shadowing. Oh, yeah, it looks uh, great. We also have snow technology where there's a ton of snow falling, and then combined, you... Every snowflake casts a shadow, um, and a bunch of other ridiculous things like that. So the game should look really good. I think it's going to impress a lot of people who think the Wii isn't a viable platform. I think they're going to be surprised by a lot of the stuff that they see. That's great. And have you played it on all the platforms? I mean, that that might seem like a silly question, but I I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I'm constantly playing it on every platform. (laughs) Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I don't really know. You know, I, I only know like animators and and uh, things like this, like what how they're involved as producers and and uh, directors and things like this. I really, I'm not, I'm not too hip on uh, exactly how knee deep a developer for a, a game might be. Although I do a show called We Talk Games, so I don't know what, how that figures in. <laughs> but uh, so yeah, so you're playing on everything. Do you do you? Uh, well, I guess that you don't want to shoot yourself in the foot by saying anything wrong, but do you, do you like how the Wii plays with the Wii mode and you think that really adds to the interaction or is it just as good on a thumbstick? I really like the Wii control scheme. I think it's it's very immersive. Cool. Um, and so players who have that option to play it on the Wii, I think are going to... You know, it does things that, that Silent Hill hasn't done before. And it also uses... I'm proud of it because it uses all the Wii features. Um, 
it uses the speaker for the Ugh. phone calls and the, and the silent home static. I'm a sucker for um, the for the for the speaker and the Wemo. That's that's probably my favorite thing of that right. gimmick is that speaker in there. Right. So uh, I mean, I know a lot of people feel like you know, is there anything cool they can do on the Wii or what can be done? And, and I always think, oh, I can't wait till they play Silent Hill because I mean, it uses all these cool features that that we were promised could do cool things a long time ago. Great, great. Um, but for people who, you know, they don't have a Wii or they really like their PSP or whatnot, we've spent a lot of time making sure the controls still feel intuitive. Mm-hmm. We didn't just slap the old Silent Hill control scheme onto the game because Good. with a lot of the new gameplay features, it wouldn't make sense. So it's an all the control scheme on every platform, but we really wanted to make it feel just as immersive. You know, you won't necessarily feel like you're shoving a monster off of you if you don't have the Wii because that's a really tactile thing on the Wii. Sure. But you'll still feel like you can do everything just as easily and provide the same experience. That was really our goal, is whichever platform you have, you get the same intense Silent Hill experience. Fantastic. Now, uh, what what was one of the first titles that you worked on for Konami? The first title I worked on at Konami was Contra 4. Oh, great. Well, that leads right into what I'm going to talk about then. So this was a great game for the Nintendo DS. Now, Kyle and I talked about the new Contra Rebirth, and we're both in love with that, except that it was a little short. Yeah. Uh, but the Contra 4 for the Nintendo DS, I had to go back and, and play through that. Some of the coolest and most diverse designs in the series, I think. And I'm a, I'm a big Contra fan. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I got to tell you, I got to be honest with you, which I didn't tell you before, but Konami is my favorite game company of all game companies well, and uh and my my number one favorite game and series of all time is the castlevania series uh, mm-hmm. probably because i'm a huge turbo graphics mark a big pc engine fan i loved everything nec came out with even right. you know their um their the pcfx uh which you know i got to play one game on that i could understand but um I pretty much loved everything that they came out with, and still to this day, that Dracula X was just uh, one of my favorite games ever. But Contra, definitely very close behind, and Contra 4, of course, was biting my nails, very worried about this polygon mess coming to the Nintendo DS, which the Nintendo (laughs) DS is horrible at polygons, and thankfully, I got a nice pixel-looking great use, and like I said, some of the best level designs that I've seen. You start out, it's just like your regular side-scrolling, Rambo-y, Contra 1 NES type of normal game, but then as soon as level 2 comes in, it's incredibly modern, and you have, you know, all the mutants and the, the... monsters coming down on you and everything the aliens but it also pays homage it seems to me i don't know if this was the intent to like the hardcore from the genesis and the alien wars from the super nintendo mm-hmm. um, because all of a sudden then you're thrust into this whole new game where instead of like uh, the the super nintendo had the top down segment with that right. crazy mode seven uh going on this one has a, more of a first person uh, thing happening, first person-ish mm-hmm. uh, shooting going on. How did those level designs come about? Well, Contra 4, we were really fortunate. Um, I was working with another producer named Simon Lai here on that, and we both kind of pitched a new Contra idea, and they, they put us together and we came up with Contra 4, and we really, and then we went away forward, the developer, and they didn't know what we were going to them for. Okay. And we told them, you know, well, here's what we want you to do. We want you to make a 2D Contra game, hand-drawn, and make, like, the best Contra game ever. Mm. And then they had all the same questions that I think fans had when they said, oh, well, do you want a bunch of 3D stuff? And we're like, well, no, just not a lot of it has to focus on 2D. And they said, well, do you want us to 
sort of focus on this. And we're like, no, it has to be about the old games. <laughs> so they were getting more and more excited. Oh. And, uh, in the end, it was just a bunch of Contra fans making the perfect Contra game. It, it um, really is amazing. I love the rocket level. That's probably one of my favorite moments in gaming. Uh, that, that yeah, we actually, we actually, after that first meeting, we went to lunch. And we were thinking, okay, so we have to come up with really good levels. What's, what's like a Contra level? And, and one of the designers said, well, like... What if there was a giant rocket taking a missile taking off out of a missile silo, and you had to grab onto the missile, and then you rode it and it rotated through the air? And we said, okay, yeah, but we'll make that a level, and that actually made it in the final game, obviously. Yeah, and use uses the dual screens and everything. Amazing. Yep. We really, I mean, our focus was to sort of show like what was best about all the old games. So you know, we have the jungle, and we have the 3D first-person type stages are kind of like the, the tunnel stages from the first game, mm-hmm. and then we have sort of a bigger missile ride and you kind of rode missiles in Contra 3 and so we, we didn't want it to be a rehash of the old games where you'd already done it before but we wanted to sort of pay homage to it like you said but then make it bigger and better and do what a sequel would do definitely so that's what we called it Contra 4 and having the boss become a level I think it was another really neat innovation <laughs> and what yeah that was another one of those ideas from early on was like what if we could pull this off and then that's what we ended up with. Amazing. But I do have to ask you, and uh, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, not really, but what's uh, what's with this SCTV is on the air? Somebody, a big fan of SCT, Second City Television or something? <laughs> At the I end there. I have to ask way forward about that one. Oh, okay, very good. Because it, it, <laughs> uh, it something about uh, blows up real good happens in there. Yeah. <laughs> So, going into this game, what were some of your favorite Contra moments from previous titles? Like, I've, I've, I think when I can think of, like, hardcore, I think you're on a train, and you sort of see other bits of the train, and this is just off, off the cuff, but do you have any big standout Contra moments that you re- recall? Yeah, my, my favorite one is really dumb, but um, at the beginning of Contra 3, there's kind of a car on the street. Mm-hmm. And the only reason the car is there is so you can shoot it and it'll explode. <laughs> and to me, as a kid, when I was playing it, you know, I played the, the first two Contra games, but this, that told me, like, this is Contra, but better. <laughs> um, and for some reason, it's always stuck with me. But um, all the big moments, I like the, the waterfall boss in Contra 1. Oh, yeah. And I don't know. The bosses are pretty big. Those are pretty big moments. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, yeah, this is one of my favorite Contra games, I think. And now you're also working on now Rocket Knight. Mm-hmm. These these are all established franchises. How do you prepare for creating a new or revisited chapter in an established series? Uh, well, it really, it really depends on the approach you're taking, what you're trying to accomplish with that game. So with Contra 4, we were saying maybe Contra's lost its way recently. And we need to make what it used to be. So then it kind of seems obvious because it's called Contra 4, but back then, before we knew it was being called that, it was sort of like, what if we were making a sequel to Contra 3? Uh-huh. What would that game be like? And so that's kind of the approach we took, where, you know, with Silent Hill, Shattered Memories, we're sort of saying, we're using the weird, creepy, mind-screwing quality of Silent Hill and applying it to Silent Hill 1. So it's, it's like it's a sideways. than you'd expect. I see. Um, but we're also changing all the gameplay and, and we're we're rethinking what could be even more scary than this formula that we have so that's kind of where we're going with that and then with rocket knight it's a lot different because that series hasn't really existed for 15 years mm-hmm. so you know when i was pitching that i was sort of doing it as like 
here's this cool thing I remember, guys. Let's let's try to make it again. Yeah. Um, it took me. Um, I actually pitched it the same time I pitched Contra, uh, what became Contra Four. Oh wow! So it's been a longer time trying to get that to happen. The old Rock and I games, all of them are kind of different. They don't feel mm. the exact same. Sure. And so the the approach that we're taking to this is figure out what Rock and I is, what that feel is, and that what would make it stand out, what makes it special, and then that's what we're focusing on. Cool. So, so hopefully this should also be the ultimate Rock and I game. Oh man, I can't wait because I I loved uh, Rocket Knight Adventures. Uh, we talked about it many times on the show. A very highly recommended game. A uh, Sparkster, you know, we were a little worried there. We didn't know is Sparkster going to be full of Tood? Is he going to be just another Tood character? Now, this new Rocket Knight, he's not going to be a Tood character, is he? No, I, I promise he's not going to be filled with. Uh attitude very good because you know we've seen bubsy and gex and maybe even acrobat i don't know if acrobat did did it that much uh arrow i should say but definitely sonic and we've seen you know the abundance of tood uh previously occur to people that we actually cared about and um I was just, we were just a little worried around the We Talk Games community coffee machine maker. No, I, I was actually talking to um, Jeremy Blastain, who worked on, he used to work for Konami, and he worked on the original Rocket Knight games as a localization and sort of advice. And uh, he said he didn't have a lot of memories of working on it back in the day because it was so long ago. But they had meetings about what type of attitude Sparkster should have. Okay. And it sounds like we all got really lucky that Sparkster didn't turn out just like Sonic. Yeah. So we're making sure that he doesn't turn out like Sonic now, and he's going to be the, the same earnest type character that we love from 15 years ago. Do we know any platforms that this is going to be aimed at? Yeah, Rocket Knight is going to be on um, XBLA, PSN, and also PC on Steam. Okay, all right, Steam. Okay, so this is going to be strictly DLC then? Yeah. Very good. One of the aspects of Rocket Knight was the different modes of gameplay. It would start off like a platformer and then as a side-scrolling shooter. And uh, it looks like that's what's happening here in Rocket Knight. Yeah. um, Playing the original, I mean, depending on which Rocket Knight game you're playing, there's a different balance of it. Mm -hmm. But we really looked at the original where the platforming, which is pretty key. And then there's the the shooter stages, like you mentioned, which are kind of like Gradius. Mm-hmm. And those are really key. And then there are a lot of other mini, like, gimmicky levels. Sure. Uh, and we really wanted to focus on the platforming and the, the rocketing to sort of establish again, like I said, like, what is Rocket Knight? And then the sort of a mission statement of, this is what Rocket Knight feels like. This is what it is. So that's really where our focus is, is on the platforming and the Rocket Pack levels. And I, I really remember that Rocket Pack in the first one. You really had a, a some type of the, the, something about the physics of it that that the way it was animated, the way that it controlled, really felt like you had a rocket pack on. Mm-hmm. Was there focus put on uh, that mechanic? Yeah, we're the the core of the gameplay had to be the rocket because it, it's called Rocket Knight, and that's mm-hmm. what separates him from other characters is this rocket pack. But in the original game, I feel like when I play it, it, it something about it feels like I can't control it. Yeah, and there's a good aspect of that, and there's a a bad aspect of that when you're getting into complicated levels and you want to use this cool thing that Sparks has but you can't because if you do you'll fly into spikes you can't see and die and so we really wanted this new one to give you that feeling of freedom and excitement by using the rocket pack without the whoops you can't really use it here because you'll die <laughs> I see I see um, so we really want the player to feel like they have a ton of moves at their disposal and they are kind of free to solve the situations as they want okay 
hopefully all the good with none of the bad. <laughs> very good, very good. And, and I saw the 3D, and I'm, an, I'm a big worry ward about uh, 3D. You know, I, I've seen 3D ruin too many of the things I care about um, right. and as an easy app. But th- this is looking nice. This is looking good. I'm happy with that. It's, it's hard to tell from uh, screens and video. Sure. But I, I want to assure everybody that I know a lot of games, when they go to 3D, when they go to 2.5D or whatever you want to call it, right. there's sort of a lag in the controls, and mm. it feels different or floatier or just not right like a 2d game would mm-hmm. um we don't do that but i've worked with climax really closely to make sure this game feels like you're playing a 2d game oh great it's responsive it's fun it's fast i know people have to take my word on that for a while but uh it plays really well and i, I love playing it myself so oh great so and we're looking at probably next year i guess for this title right uh yeah it's next year can't wait. Can't wait. I know Kyle can't wait either. He's he's a big uh, Rocket Knight fanboy as well. Are there any other classic IPs within the Konami library that you'd like to breathe new life into or get your hands on? Uh, I feel bad. I've worked on so many that I, I don't want to be a jerk and take them all. <laughs> but uh, I like, I mean, I'm a huge Konami fan too, so I mean, pretty much anything I'd like to see more of. If I could work on it, that'd be better. But <laughs> right on, right on. Anything else that you wanted to bring up that I might have missed? Everyone look forward to Silent Hill and Rocket Knight. They'll be great, I promise. We are looking forward to it. Tom Hewlett, thank you so much for joining us on We Talk Games. No problem. Thank you, guys. I know. Tom Hewlett, video game producer for Konami. Tom Hewlett. Hey, uh, we're going to have Ouch on now. Ouch is going to make his first appearance on We Talk Games. Open it up, Keith. I'm feeling good. Youngstown, Ohio! Hey, hey, high in the middle, round on the sides, Ohio. Ouch! Ouch! Thank you. Thank you, Wiggly. Wow. Hey, it's great great to have you on this version of the We Talk Games audio program. I've been a listener for a long time. It's great to finally talk to you, man. Oh, cool. Great. I've never talked to you before, except for the... I think I've done a few AIM emails, but, you know, that was a long time ago. So. Right, and that was under... We're in the future now. Now we are in the future, and it's so great to be here with the flying cars and the volcanoes. I'm uh, still waiting for them. Right. Now, ouch! Yes, sir. Um, what do you got? Now, I know that you're doing a little side project. Uh, Johnny Capcom sent out the challenge, or I, I guess, or whatever. The invitation. He, yeah, he blew a bugle, and he said, <laughs> anyone that is, uh, you know, part of the extended We Talk Games family or, or likes this or whatever, go ahead and make some videos, and you can post it on YouTube and, you know, link them back to the forums. And if you want to include We Talk Games and you're you and... You could do that, and I know that you've done it. You've done, like, like four of these already, three or four. Yeah. Yes, one pilot and then three official episodes. It's called the Untitled Video Project. I kind of figured that was more original than whatever gaming cliche I could think of that wasn't taken. Very good. And I know that you did one for DJ Hero, and that's what yeah. we're going to talk about. I got this one, too. Yes, yes, I have it for Xbox 360. Which one do you have it for there? I got it for the PS3. Cool, cool. Yeah, it, cool. We, we had a really big... Uh, if if you don't know about the Wiggly Mini Mall, if you buy from there, you just go to Wigglysworld.com or you go to WeTalkGames.com, click on Wiggly's Mini Mall, and then you can make... It's just like a flea market, this place, except, of course, without the fleas. And uh, it's it's almost as if we have the same prices you can find on Amazon. <laughs> and wow, amazing, <laughs> yeah. amazing. And what happens if if you make a purchase from my Mini Mall, I get... Amazon bucks, and I was actually able to get the DJ Hero for like negative $19. In this economy, that's amazing. Hey, that was the price for me. And, you know, DJ Hero really, really interested me because I loved Beat Mania, uh, but it was just a little bit too hard for me with the keyboard and stuff. 
I thought I'm going to stink at this too, but I, I was very enticed because I heard that Grandmaster Flash would mm-hmm. teach me how to be a DJ, and I thought, <laughs> hey, it's just like my turntable with the three buttons on the side. This has got to be something. I'll it's be amazing able- how accurate they are to the real life thing. You know? <laughs> yeah, because everybody knows when you DJ, you, you use your three fingers on the record. The records come like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, this is this is a another plastic interface for your for your gaming system. But I got to tell you, I like it. Uh, I, I can actually play it, and I like mm-hmm. the difficulty. I think it's at a very good uh, it has a very good balance of difficulty. I'm having a hard time getting five in in some of the songs, so I'm really really enjoying it. So you tell us about the game since you did the video. You know more about it than I do. <laughs> Thank you, thank you. There are two versions. There's a regular version that's just 120. That's just you get the regular turntable, and then there's the Renegade version. Yeah, that's 200 there. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't with, go for that. Nah. Well, it wouldn't have been bad maybe for the price because you get an extra Jay Z Eminem CD with unreleased tracks, I think, and then you get the stand carrying case that converts into both each other and that stand oh. you need because it's hard to just play it on your legs you know what i mean just trying to balance a stand on something that really can't take that much abuse you know yeah you're right you have to i, I put this on a like a wooden tv tray and that works right. out well yeah but you you really can't put this on your lap to play it no i didn't know about it's the little- stand Maybe um, it was the uh, carrying case that converts into a stand. So. I see. Yeah, because the the M M&M and M thing and the Jay Z's and that stuff probably like turns that. you right off, right? Yeah, I I mean you might as well, if you know if it came with something that, that had a, a Lawrence Welk edition and uh, <laughs> Benny Goodman and his big band clarinet uh, uh, attachment, oh, then, then, then we would get Conductor Hero. <laughs> yeah, you know something I could blow into um, or Spike Jones. Then I would really have cared, but because it said that, I didn't realize the stand. But the stand, huh? Hmm. Huh. Hmm. It would have added to that, you yeah. know. Yeah, that would. But really, been... also, just on a side note, that Jay Z Eminem, the commercial, and that big deal with the extra one. They have one song. That's it. <laughs> yeah. they, but, and they're really blowing it up too. Let's so. talk about the songs. I love these songs. You know what? They definitely do have a good mix of everything in there. I mean, you think with the DJ Hero, it would be primarily hip-hop and rap and things like that. But you know what? You got a good mix of dance, like popular hits. You have a, even a little bit of rock in there. And you new really wave. do get a good mix. There's new wave happening. I think I heard Gary yeah. Newman or something. Because yeah, he's in a few of them there, it's, too. It's all mashups. Absolutely. You get two songs for each one. That's amazing. And And this must be... A judicial nightmare. I mean, I don't know who, what type of music lawyers they had involved with this game. I mean, more than any other game. I mean, I know Beatles, Guitar Heroes, Beatles must have been a, a nightmare for for music lawyers. But I cannot see how this is not the target of of some loopholes and fall throughs on this because yeah. it just yes, has yeah. like, well, how many songs come with it? Like ninety five. I do believe it is one hundred and three songs in 93 mixes wow i know it's 93 mixes but and you know that amazed me too and you know some of the songs stink but uh, but yeah. most of them are really cool and i love how it integrates with the controller i think it's perfect mm-hmm. i'm not so crazy about the fader uh it's it's a little it's a little tiny in my hands and really doesn't work like a like i you know i use a dj rig and i right. do i have cross-faded things so, so the fader is not how an actual fader would be no because it has three positions 
and okay. finding out when when that switch happens has been a little tough for me. And I saw that you I, didn't have a lot of problem with that. To an extent, you have to hit it a little bit right before the, yeah. the target area. I noticed. I think it's something with the controller or mm. delay or something to that extent. But I did notice there is a little disconnect amongst that but it's really once you get used to it you understand right right and you know i i don't really want to go into logistics of djing now because because right. uh you know but they gave us a plastic controller let's just use that <laughs> yeah let, let's stick to this game uh, I, I mean you know djing has come a long way especially with applications that help you beat track and and not only match tempo but match pitch and everything else so this controller sort of goes more old school with it uh right. and then adds the addition of the three track buttons on the turntable itself. And then you also have a knob, which I noticed that you didn't use at all. Uh, um, <laughs> I like I, to well, use that. As I, as I played farther into the game, I realized there are places on the track where you'll see that you can use the effects dial. Mm-hmm. Apparently that will add points. I didn't realize yeah. that at the time of the video, but that does add points and it will increase your multiplier for that short time. Right. So yes, that actually does more than what I gave it credit for in the video. <laughs> so Yeah, that volume knob, which is used to change your samples and used to um, affect it in, in with like a, a, a sweep, like a, a phase uh, shifter right, type of right. thing. That is similar to the tremolo bar on your plastic guitars. Uh, that right, add, okay. add the points for there, and it, it changes the dynamics of the song. I think there are two things that I like about this turntable controller. Let me One, hear. it comes straight out of the box. You don't need to put anything together. It's just there automatically. True. And two, there's no bass pedal for when your foot gets tired after two songs. I enjoy that very much so. <laughs> and it's wireless. That Yeah, yeah. I, wouldn't, I think they would be hard-pressed to find a wired version. It's you very know? good. Yep, yep, very good. I, I like the little flip top to get to your standard X controller and everything like that. I thought that right, was Right, that actually is a very good touch. idea because it's like you cannot operate this on a regular menu no matter how hard you try. Mm-hmm. You'll just be spinning the record <laughs> 300 times over and over. It's like, why won't I go up? And besides the scratching uh, that you do and the back and forth and the things like this and the three buttons of the tracks, you also can do the rewind. I love that. Yes. When you rack up enough perfect points, you can rewind the whole tur- ta- turntable and it's the, the whole music track backwards and you get to go over those points again and rack up points and then you unless also, you go over a point where there's only like one note and then you use it and it's like oh for crying out loud yeah and uh, and you also get the the multiplier button that uh, has a little for, led for, inside yeah. of it yeah that's kind of neat i like that as it well. is it is neat i saw it light up and it's like oh i have euphoria now yay so what do you think overall about this game um um in terms of gameplay, very, very much fun. You, If you're into the DJ, I guess I should say, rather, you will have fun with this. It's very creative, and it's a unique, innovative way to play the game. Mm-hmm. However, there is no story mode. You pretty much are just playing the song for your own benefit. Right. There's no creative DJ. I think this is almost... I. I want to say bare bones, but maybe not. Because for a first time out, it's not that bad, no. really. No, it's not. I, I would say passable. Maybe not great, maybe not good. It's passable, I would say. Maybe yeah. a little bit higher than that. I really like it. I really enjoy it. Uh, oh, I and, en- absolutely. And if you love music well, and you like uh, anything different done with your music, absolutely. I think that you might enjoy it. Now, if you really, really hate 
dance music, then it's not going to be for you. But if you want to, if you want to blow the O ring out of your Serwin Vegas from the, from the nineteen eighties, <laughs> uh, that's what I've done. So that now I have tough. two torn AT fifteens that I had to buy a reskinning kit uh, for. <laughs> so I'm thirty one dollars in the hole because of this title. It helped uh, help rip those AT uh, fifteens out. When they say crank it to 11, they don't mean literally, Wiggly. <laughs> well, hey, it sounded good. And it was, it was nice and thumping. So, uh, mm-hmm. I, I, and you know, the fact that you have a luchador DJ right away, uh, that also yep. scored a couple bonus points. So I think the people behind us really, they, they know what, uh, they know what the kids want. Yeah. What else we got? Well, literally, I just beat the game Brutal Legend last night. Oh, you beat it? Okay, great. Actually, because it had been a few weeks since I had played it, because I was at the final level before the final boss. Yeah. And um, there are a few different layers to Brutal Legend. If you've played the demo over Xbox Live or PS3, sure. you'll get like pretty much an all-hack-and-slash and then driving parts of the game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, those are the fun parts. Ah. But then they kind of make this weird <laughs> mishmash of a real time strat or yeah real time strategy i was about to say quick time strategy but that's something different okay it's a different it's like a mixture of real time strategy and the hack and slash where you create your own troops that are all based on you know you have the uh, headbangers with you you have a uh, jersey girls and you, all the characters you meet throughout the game they eventually become your troops for your stage battles as the uh, real time strategy is called okay it's a weird mishmash because it's a little bit difficult to control your troops when you're halfway across the world from them. So, I see. I uh, see. The hack and slash parts completely fun. I mean, you, for those you don't know, you you are Eddie Riggs, the roadie who gets warped into this world of metal, and you have an axe, with an actual axe, and then your guitar, which affects your enemies through lightning. You can blow them up. You can make them float on a stream of sparklers. It's a very like the the attitude is amazing in this game. Like when you think metal, you would think brutal legend. Right, right. Um, if anyone's worried, I know Jack Black is the lead character now. If you're worried about him being like too wacky, he does fairly well with the script and what he's given because it's the writing that's the funny part, not Jack. Bl- well, that's a bit mean to say, but the writing's good even with Jack Black. Okay. Oh, I love Jack Black. He makes I do, everything too. I better. Mean it like that, I don't think before I speak. That's all. He, I mean, I even watched Orange County. <laughs> I made it through that, and you know what? I just, I just saw him in Mars Attacks again. I was, I forgot that he plays the Jughead. So yeah, so I like Jack Black. Speaking of, speaking of other celebrities, this game is chock full of celebrities being common voices in the game. Oh. I know for a fact that there's Lars from Motorhead. Oh great! Ozzy Osbourne's in the game as the guy you buy your upgrades from. I see. And he has amazing dialogue. You can hear it perfectly. And there's every time you go in, he'll say something different for quite a few times. Oh, very good. And eventually, and eventually you go in there so many times, and he shows up, and then he just kind of stands there and looks at you. And then the camera pans to Eddie Riggs, and then it goes back to Ozzy, and he just goes, What? <laughs> so it's amazing how they got so much comedy from these metal legends. It's really amazing. Very good. So what else happens? You you punch uh, a demon. Basically, <laughs> you are basically traveling through this metal world, saving the people, the humans of metal. And you for the for the first part, you go up against you know glam rock. So you have to take out those guys there. Okay. Uh, other for mostly for the gameplay, it's a large open world environment similar to Grand Theft Auto, and there are things where um 
you have to collect like the special packages, but there seem to be like twelve different versions of like the special packages that you have to collect. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I never like, heard ex- it compared to a sandbox style game. Wow, yeah, that's that's exactly what it is. Huh. But you only have the large all overworld map. There's no mini map, and there's no locator for any of the items you collect. So you literally just stumble upon things that you can affect, and it would count to the counter. And even then, you would find. Like, one of the items are there are these these bound serpent statues. Those will increase your health, your spirit, your attacks, things like that. And you see them, but the game gives you no sign of what to do with them. I see. And it's pretty much just a trial and error. Trust me, when I finished the game, I only had maybe 20 of those found out of 120. So okay, gotcha, gotcha. I was, I was fairly weak at the end of the game, really. Uh-huh. Now, do you think that you're going to go back and play this? Because uh, I know people were worried about replay value when this uh, title came out. Um, hmm. There's always that possibility of just going through, tr- trying to find more unlockable songs, trying to find more um, solos for your guitar that acts as attacks or summons or things like that. Always trying to find the Bound Serpents. Um, that's a tough one because, I mean, the story is really good. But you really only need one playthrough. I don't I really... I don't quite see the um, replayability. I mean, it's a good game when you play it, but the frustration of the uh, real-time strategy, it kind of gets to you and you just go, I don't want to do this again. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man, you got anything else for us or is that it? No, just I'll probably put out UVPs every Tuesday or so, and you can usually find them on the We Talk Games board. All right, man. Well, ouch. Hey, thank, it's great to finally hear from you on this uh, version of the show. Keep oh, up no what problem. you're doing. I, I hope that it treats you well, and I hope that you enjoy, keep enjoying doing it. I enjoy watching it. Hey, it's for fun, man. That's what I'm here for. Okay, pal. See you now. Bye. Bye. Swing on by the We Talk Games bulletin boards to get your fill of Ouch's YouTube contributions. Hey, I smell blueberry pancakes. It's Kirby's hat. Open the lines, Keith. Mini! Mini! Wee Wee-Appolis! Kirby! <laughs> hey, Wiggly, how is it going? Oh, man, it's, uh, it's a rough, it's a stacked show, you know. Show is stacked. Oh, yeah. Gimmick infringement with Kyle. Oh, God. This is a big, big gaming month. Huge titles coming out. Indeed Whoa. it is. Yeah. The first game I want to talk about is a good old-fashioned magic and swords and elves and orcs and all that. Dragon Age Origins for the 360. Okay, very good. Now, I know that I saw Noel... Uh, on his PS3, I think he's got like 40% of the achievements done or something. He's really cooking along in this title. It's one of those games where the achievements are... You can get most of them by just progressing through the story. Very it's good. not a lot of weird specific things like Grand Theft Auto where you have to kill all 500 pigeons for only 5 points or right. something. Right, and collect the oysters and stuff. I have it for the 360, yeah, very and good. it's produced by BioWare, which are a company that's made some fantastic RPGs in the past, most of which I've played. Including the Baldur's uh, Baldur's Gate series, yeah. Everwind Knights, Jade Empire, Knights of the Old Republic, Mass Effect, soon to come out Mass Effect 2 in January. Okay. And I think it's the first like old school swords and spells RPG that they've had for the 360 that wasn't a JRPG. Right, right. Well, yeah. Uh-huh. That type of game. Yeah, that, that's... The nerd part of me loves. Sure. So. <laughs> Great. The story, it runs down its... 
it seems kind of like a Lord of the Rings copy at first. One of the first cut scenes seems to be lifted directly from one of the movies. Okay. And you basically start out, there's only three classes, warrior, mage, and rogue. Hmm. And you can level up into different subclasses they have to unlock throughout the game. And the cool thing about it is depending on what type of character you choose, you go through a specific background for that character. Oh. So say if you're a human warrior, you go through a different different background than, say, an elf rogue would. Okay. And you get achievements based and if you complete each of these things. and It's pretty cool and pretty specific, and it actually affects, like, you meet these certain characters in the beginning that you run into later on in the game, and they, affect, they, they act differently towards you if you went through a background with them. Okay, very good. Now, are you in a library? I'm just wondering. Um, no, I'm in my room. Okay. Why right. is the sound quality weird here? Or no, I, I just uh, you know sounded like you were stamping books. Okay. One of the best part about this game is the combat. The combat is it's not turn based. I mean, you can make an argument for it, but it's not like Dungeons and Dragons style like Neverwinter Nights was. Okay. So there's no roll two four D based on attack whatever that is that never made sense to me. <laughs> and it's really immersive. There's a lot of cool effects that can happen, like for especially for a mage, certain spells can affect other spells. Oh, okay. You can do combinations. Like, there's a spell where you just magically summon a big pile of grease on the floor. Uh-huh. If you throw a fireball at that, it'll burn continuously and do constant damage. Gotcha. You start off in one of these six stories, and you eventually get recruited into an elite cast of warriors called the Grey Wardens. And they're supposed to protect the world from an uprising called the Blight that happens every 400 years or so, and it's happening again. So you join them and try to save the world. Okay. And that's just a basic introductory on the story. I don't want to spoil much more than that. Sure, sure. Another cool thing about this game is uh, you tried out Mass Effect, haven't you? Not yet, no. Not yet? Well, it has kind of the same thing going with Mass Effect, is you can affect the story directly by these huge decisions you make throughout the game. Okay. Oh, very good. And in this one, it's even more advanced than it is in Mass Effect. You can decide the fate of entire nations of people by this from one little decision. It's very, very wide-reaching consequences. Yeah, I guess the general consensus is this is a pretty awesome game. It is, it is. The beginning starts out kind of slow, but once you get into it and level up more and get more powers and whatnot, then it really starts to pick up. Depending on how many side quests you do, there are tons of side quests throughout the game. Uh, it can be a 50 to 60 hour experience. Wow, great. And that's just on your first playthrough, and you're encouraged to go through more than once because it has huge replay value. I see, I see. Well, see, that's the problem. See, I can only play games I can finish in five minutes or else forget it. <laughs> I understand with all the time constraints and everything. I think I have, like, seriously, I think I've completed, like, 1% of Infamous. And I, <laughs> I enjoyed playing that, you know what I mean? Silly when I look that at That is one of those games where it makes me wish I had a PS3 just to play that. Right on. Yeah, you know, uh, some people enjoy it. Yeah, it's a mixed bag, but uh, all in all. Just have to substitute for uh, dropping elbows off of buildings and board. <laughs> no. Any more with that? Uh, well, if you're a big RPG nerd like me and you're looking for something to really sink your teeth into, a game that can really immerse you in the experience, check it out. Right on. Also, if you buy a new copy, you get special downloadable content for free that can also work if you pre-order Mass Effect 2. Ah, I see. It's one code for two different games, so that's pretty cool. Gotcha, gotcha. Hey, what else we got? <laughs> the second game that I've been playing a lot recently is a game called Borderlands. Yeah, it's- now I saw the commercials for this. There ain't no rest for the wicked. Yeah. Really cool uh, song. Uh, yeah, maybe for the you know first five times you hear the song. 
<laughs> now, who, like now, who makes this? Gearbox Studios. Okay, very good. They're most famous for um, all uh, 97 of the Half-Life games. Yeah, yeah. There's about 400 of those. The best way to describe it, it's a first-person Diablo shooter. Oh, okay. They went for the cell shading on this, I think, didn't they? Pseudo cell shading, I guess. Yeah, pseudo cell shading. Shell shading. However the hell you say that. Yeah. Tongue um, twister. It's not quite cell shaded, but it does have a lot. It, it is at first glance, but the textures are a little bit more dull than full on cell shaded. Like right. the, the 13, I think it was, was the first cell shaded game I've experienced. Oh, okay. That was the first one you did. Of course, the first one for me was the Jet Set Radio. Uh, okay. So so what happens with Borderlands? Because, you know, a lot of people are talking about this nice long game and everything else with this. The easiest way to describe it beyond how I already described it, it's a single player MMO that you can play multiplayer on. Okay. <laughs> the game is designed to go through with at least one other person, and but you can also play it by yourself. A lot of the quests are, you know, the MMO fetch and carry quests. Go kill 10 amount of this random animal, or go uh-huh. bring me this amount of what ingredient, whatever. It looks like it's a Mad Max or something. Is that the type of environment we're talking about here? Um, yeah, it takes place on uh, another planet called Pandora, which is basically a giant yunk junkyard planet filled with idiot rednecks. Okay, and it's, that's good. And the whole point is you're one of four unique mercenaries that have come to this planet in order to search for ancient treasure vault built by aliens that's supposed to have treasures beyond your imagination. Okay. And the, there's no character creation. There's four specific characters you play as. There is Roland. He's your average, you know, space marine. And his, each character has a special power. Also, his special power, he puts up a shield that also has a gun turret on it. There is Lilith. She's a siren. She's one of six people in the galaxy that have this sort of special power to go into another gal- or another dimension. Okay. Her special power is she turns that on and she moves really fast and she's invisible. So it's basically a escape from a situation that you can't get yourself out of. There is Brick. He is a giant um, muscle monster type character. He's covered in scars and everything. Okay. His special power is he goes berserk and just starts punching everything. <laughs> and then there is Mordecai, the hunter, and he is the, like the sniper character. And his special power is he releases a bird, his pet bird Bloodwing, that goes out and attacks you know the closest or the most convenient enemy. Okay. Now, do you it, choose these characters before you start, or can you switch yeah. between them? Oh, I see. Yeah, and you can also switch like the colors of their clothes and hair and everything. But okay, but you can't change characters mid-game or anything like that. No, no, you're okay. stuck with that character. Ah, you can. There, it, you do level up uh, certain skill trees like you do in most other RPGs. So it has RPG elements too. Okay, hmm. and you can pay a small fee, and you can re completely respec your character if you don't like how you leveled them up. So oh, I see. Very good. That's a pretty cool idea. Now, when you say fee, do you mean real money or... or no, no, in-game. In-game, in-game okay. currency, which they just call dollars. They don't make up some sort of weird thing for it. <laughs> okay, cool. So do you like it? I do like it. It's really fun. You, you kind of have to get used to it. It's its own little It's its own little world. Yeah, own yeah. style of game. One of the main advertising points is there's millions of guns. <laughs> yeah, right. And there right. is. You get the loot is primarily guns. You get hundreds and millions of different type of guns. Not many of them are that mu- are that different though. Sure. That's kind of the thing. Well, okay, one gun be, yeah, might be considered a different gun, even if it has one more damage than the next one. So gotcha, gotcha. And there is a story to it. I've heard. I've talked a lot about. A lot of people complain. Oh, there's not much of a story. You just have to read for it. So it's a lot of text based things. Uh, there is voice acting in it. 
but it's not every character is voice acted and all of their dialogue. Sure, so. sure. Gotcha. All right. And, and are there quests that, that are defined or you just build yeah, your all, own all adventure? quests are defined. There's main story missions and there's hundreds of side missions, but you have to read a little block of text in order to know what you're doing and what you're spo- where you're supposed to be going. Okay, very good. Well, two great games that I, I, I needed to, to know about, so thank you very much for that, Kirby. All right, man. Hey, uh, thanks for joining me, Kirby. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Yep. Adios, Wiggly. This show is stacked. All right, let's go uh, to Ireland. Why not? Enniscorthy, go! Here in the flooded town of Enniscorthy, I'm very cold because it's really bad weather outside. But and it's that's flooded, huh? Yes, it's it's just it's it's creeping over the uh, the banks, the river is at the moment. But uh, that's why you stay inside and play video games. Right. I feel like I'm about ready to flood my pants. I just, it's been the flu season, and I just, you know, I, I think I spent the past month just holding it in. So what do we got uh, this month? Uh, well, uh, Wiggly, I have to ask you, do you like heavy metal music at all? Yes. I'm just going to say. Okay. And uh, what about war strategy? Is that, is that a thing you like? Yes, I do. I, but I like hexagonal war strategy. Oh, well, I mean, if you tilt the TV, then you're good to go. <laughs> and what about action RPGs? Yeah, I like that. Yeah, uh, well, then definitely don't get FIFA 10, but do get Brutal Legend. <laughs> All right, now, Brutal. Now, we, we, we had uh, Ouch was on uh, for the first time on the show. He, he mentioned a little bit about what he thought about Brutal, but and he mentioned that, too. Uh, action RPG, war strategy, real-time war strategy and heavy metal music. So what yeah. do you think about this? How did this come off to you? Well, I, I like kind of classic platformer games and stuff like that, but this appealed to me because I'm a big heavy metal fan, and I like action RPGs a lot. I know the strategy elements are a challenge to me because I, I'm old school with the games. I'm the, like, you know, I started with the Master System where you just run in and beat everyone up and don't think about it. Mm-hmm. So that's a bit of a struggle for me, but I do enjoy playing those bits as well. I will say, as far as like the art style of this game, it's just it's like stepping into a Dio album cover or something. Really? It's okay, just, very good. So it does pay homage to the heavy metal, but it's not like a Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure that might be offensive to some. No, no, not really. Okay. I mean, it, it's I wouldn't describe it as a hundred percent original game from its play style. You know, I mean, it's a mix of like God of War and stuff like that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as far as the action is concerned sure and uh you know the driving sections are not very realistic or you know well thought out they work <laughs> you get from a to b sure you know? yeah but don't expect to be pulling any fancy turns or whatever i mean you crash into a flat wall you'll just start driving up and over it i see i see but it's the uh the heavy metal aspect that kind of makes it unique you know mm-hmm. uh the soundtrack is again 100 percent metal it's like Black metal, thrash metal, classic metal, everything in between. Even although, if you don't really like heavy metal, you probably won't be able to tell the difference between one and the other. But uh, it's got a lot of cameos from people who are quite famous. My favorite is Rob Halford. Okay, who plays two characters, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I think he plays a homophobic metal character at the beginning of the game. It sounds like him anyway. Which, of course, if anyone knows anything about Rob Halford, is loaded with uh, irony. Sure. And uh, he also plays himself, kind of. Now, Rob Helford, that, that's Judas Priest. That's the priest himself, then? That's Judas Priest. Very good. All right, yeah. Very good. And uh, Ozzy's in there as well. Yep. 
Lammy, I can't think who else is in there. There's a bunch of other people, famous actors, and whatever, laying them their uh, voice talents to the game. But uh, as I said, the that whole aspect of it makes it kind of something you've never really experienced because it takes like the bombastic elements of heavy metal culture, you know, like the whole imagery and over-the-top sound and makes it reality for the characters that you're playing with. Right, right. So, it, nothing about it is like goofy or strange to them. And, right. Uh, you know, it's fun. It's just, it is a lot of fun. You probably haven't played a game quite like it before as far as like the story it throws up. I mean, I think you could enjoy the story without knowing the history of heavy metal. Mm-hmm. But it, it definitely reflects some, you know, like the origins and all of the genre. Now, does but, does anyone live in a trailer in this world? Uh, you transport your army on a tour bus. I know that. Oh, a tour bus. Yeah, it's not a trailer. Okay. Yeah. So um, it's not 100% accurate, but it's it's pretty close, I guess. I honestly can't tell you. The houses of these people don't really come into uh, okay. it. You know, it's more like war strategy action, not micromanagement. That don't Very home. good. Very good. But uh, <laughs> Did you uh, play the demo? And sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. What you, you think? Ah, it was it was fun, but I don't think I have you know time to invest in brutal Paws of Fury, and I guess this is the sequel to Paws of Fury, isn't it? Aren't you a rhino uh, yeah. in one stage? Okay, you're riding metal beasts at one point. They certainly have Paws of Fury. Ah, okay, very good. No, I mean I, you know, I, I liked it. I thought it was uh, humorous for what I played, and uh, I know there's mixed reviews on just the demo, but uh, you didn't do any of the the war strategy that's involved with it uh, during the demo. So, uh, you know, I, I might I might give this a try sometime, given the the, the time. Well, if you're not, like, if it doesn't grab you straight away, I'd recommend just waiting for it to drop down in price and then maybe picking it up. Right on, man. What else we got? Uh, playing a lot of dual-screen Castlevania. Aha! And um, one of which is, uh, you know, like an anachronism, Dawn of Sorrow, without the O, it's DS, Castlevania DS. See what gotcha, there. yeah. But uh, the other is Castlevania Order of Ecclesia. Okay. And uh, I, I'm going to talk about both of them at once, just because I think... Both of these games are perfect examples of how to uh, be progressive with a classic franchise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're completely different in their story. In or, uh, Dawn of Sorrow, have you ever played Dawn of Sorrow? Sure. Show? Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, then uh, you play Dracula's like vessel, basically. Yep. And uh, you're running around trying not to become Dracula. And uh, then in Order of Ecclesia, um, you're a young girl yeah. who you know has tattoos and stuff. And the, and the art style is different on there, and the, just uh, yeah. slightly. Uh, I like that a lot. I like the I like the uh, the tats. And well, sure, Castlevania, 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 uh, Don Sorrow is set in 2035, I think. And then Order of Ecclesia is set in between. I think the setup is the Belmonts have skipped a generation. Mm-hmm. And there's like no Belmonts around, so they have to like get inked and uh, hope that solves everything. Right, right. It's that kind of Metroidvania style of gameplay, you know, where you're kind of ex- exploring the castle in the Metroid style. And sure. They're both so much fun to play. I mean, the Castlevania series, hands down, one of my all-time favorite series of games. Me too. It keeps the same platforming elements from the first game back on the Famicom Disk System. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But then it's just, it seems each iteration they managed to find a new way to make it 
just a fresh experience sure the um art style obviously on both are gorgeous i mean just i don't think there has been an ugly castlevania game that hasn't been in 3d right <laughs> yeah as long as you put that caveat in there you're, you're right you know I, I mean a couple on the nes were a little too colorful for my uh for my taste but i think every, every other uh version of this I, i've loved and you know i've even gone on record saying that i like uh, castlevania 4 for the super nintendo even though most people don't care for that so much Oh, I love that one. I think that probably has the best music. Probably my favorite music. And well, I'll, well, nothing can really top the turbo, uh, the the turbo duo oh, yeah. version. But I I like the limp wristed, uh, you know, Castlevania dude. I don't mind about that when the chain can be whipped around in in all directions and stuff like that. I kind of like that gameplay. That was great because I mean you could hang from stuff yep. and swing, swing around. around and- yeah, that was neat. I liked that. Again, these games go back to this classic just swipe. You know, no, they don't have the the loose whip. Right, sure. Yeah, and I don't think the, any other game did, really. They're, 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 they're I'd like to see it, it come back. Yeah, I think, it's, I think it's okay. These are both incredibly tough games as well. Mm-hmm. These are the same type of mindset the, of the older games where it was like, you're going to pay so much for this game and you're going to play it mm-hmm. for weeks and weeks and weeks before people somehow had the money to buy a new game every week well that's the way I see it anyway because I was a kid back then (laughs) but uh, you know both fun both Dragon Hunters just you know if you like Castlevania then I'd recommend them sure I also picked up the Sega Mega Drive collection uh, the ultimate one for the Xbox and uh, they, they call it the ultimate Sega Mega Drive collection I think a better name would be Sega Mega Drive, the highs and lows. Okay. <laughs> because, I mean, there is some classics on there, like Comic Zone, Streets of Rage 2, Sonic 2, you know, anything from the Sonic series, apart from my number one low, Flicky's Island. Yeah. <sighs> I hate that game. Oh, you don't like Flicky? Look, Flicky and me don't really have... There's no heat between us. I just can't stand the... Oh. Poor I, I like isometric games. Okay. I just can't stand it. It doesn't work. It's not fast enough. It is It is plotting. Yeah. And I don't know where I'm supposed to go. Okay. Eastwas was on there as well, which might be my yeah. favorite crap game ever. Yeah. It's terrible. But I play it. Eastwas, yeah. I like this game. You're sort of like uh, walk around like Robocop and get your armor knocked off and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 kind of awful, and I mean, the uh, AI in this game is unbelievably predictable. And uh, the last game that I just I played a lot and it just was kind of poop, that would be Super Thunder Blade. Oh, I, okay. I love that whole Sega style, you know, Space Harrier moving into the screen style. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, Super Thunder Blade would actually a uh, little choppy. Yeah, and it's impossible to tell where anything is. Yeah. You know, it tells you to go up or down, but then the bullets that are fired at you seem, they seem to be kind of like defying the laws of physics. Yeah. At, you know, height and uh, pitch and yawn, all that. Sure. Don't seem to affect uh, their ability to hit you. Yeah, usually <laughs> you can make like that circle pattern around the screen, but Super Thunderblade, you really had to figure out when you were supposed to do like the X pattern and then when you were supposed to do the, the circle pattern. I remember playing that when it first came out, as well as E-SWAT. Mm-hmm. 
And and also this game where it was first person perspective and you had a hole in your chest and you were like an orange dude. It was sort of like Operation Wolf, except that you're It was Madden, wasn't it? It was Madden. Either that or <laughs> sex holes. Yeah, if you try to yeah. look up <laughs> if you try to look up Sega Genesis launch titles with a hole in your chest, uh you get some odd results. So I don't remember what it was called, but uh I remember playing that a lot. Dynamite Duke. I remember now. He, 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 like he had, he, he looked like Little Mac, except he was big, uh, in from the Punch Out series. And then he had a just giant hole in his chest, so you could see things in front of him. But he also did like kicks. And the the box art for that talk about bad box art. It was just this guy who was very upset with everything, with life. And he had, uh, and he was in a completely black beret and and like sweater vest. I'm not sure what he was wearing. And he had he had like uh, you know. Uh, makeup under yeah he had an Uzi and makeup under his eyes and he, he looked like he smelled a fart yes <laughs> that was it Dynamite Duke I was also thinking about um, what was the other first person shooter for the, the Mega Drive uh, but that was like Doom um, that came out Zero Tolerance but that came out way later but yeah Dynamite Duke uh, well uh, that's off my chest now my final game that I have to talk it's just it was a surprise. And I have to say, this multi-platform thing is getting out of hand. Okay? Uh-huh. Because I walked into my local video game emporium, and they're sitting on the shelves. Well, I don't mean... I'm not sitting on the shelves. Outside the shop, in a guy's pocket, was a copy of Marvel Ultimate Alliance 2 for the Sega Mega Drive. What? Uh, yeah. It, uh, I, I, and uh, <laughs> This is terrible. You know the way they were saying... Civil War. You're going to get Civil War. Yes. Uh-huh. Nothing. Only four playable characters. Captain America, Iron Man, Vision, and Hawkeye. I think the Wasp <laughs> is in there. And it's just... Uh, the guy sold to me... wasn't even a box. There was no box. Just, <laughs> and it was a cartridge with a white sticker on it that said, Marvel Ultimate Alliance 2. <laughs> and it was Captain America and the Avengers, I take it. Yes, it was. <laughs> Very good. Excellent. That's, well, that's I'm, what, this recession buying. You know, you go out there, you try to get a cheap deal. Sure. <sighs> we're gonna we're gonna do a little bit of multiplayer X band on your Genesis. With the, yeah. What was uh, it? There was fifty six. The guy told me. Yeah, the guy told me that there was uh, multiplayer. I think he meant two player. <laughs> and, uh, he he gave me an unlock code uh, because apparently in certain places you could get Thor. You know, uh-huh. <laughs> he told me I could not only get Thor, but uh, I could get Quicksilver as well. Uh-huh. And I, it was the Mortal Kombat blood code with <laughs> Quicksilver code scratched over Mortal Kombat code. And it, and it turned the spit into blood. If there's anybody in the southeast of Ireland that sees a guy selling Marvel Ultimate Alliance to <laughs> for the Mega Drive, just shoot him or something very good hey well uh, hey stay on the line john and we'll bring you in for the council which i think is next i'm not well, sure it it's all depends on what keith hooks me up with here so all right hold on bye thanks see you later bye john e capcom uh, i'm feeling good I'm still feeling good feeling alive comfortable what's next keith oh john gibson's on the line okay great uh yeah you know what Johnny Capcom always puts me in a big mood. I feel pixely right now. Let's, uh, let's go to I am. What do you? What do you got there, Stink? A birthday noisemaker. What's it sound like? That's great. That's what I got to put up with. Uh, open the line, Keith.
Los Angeles, John Gibson, you are 8-bit. Welcome to We Talk Games. Hello. Hello. You can you hear me? I can hear you just fine. I can... You're screaming. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's hard not to hear that. <laughs> right. Uh, now, you, now I am 8-bit. That's you. And just to draw our listeners in that aren't hip, to uh, all the going-ons of the of the internet and things like this. It's really amazing. It's lovely to see when a good idea becomes lucrative, because that's pretty rare, let's face it, doing your own thing, and then it actually pays off. But uh, briefly, in 2004, I guess it was, um, you decided to get some artist pals together to put on an exhibit of video game-related artwork. And now, it, after a few showings, it actually has become a viable brand, and you're even tied into the video game industry. Uh, yeah, you, you said it better than I could. <laughs> very good, very good. And, uh, yeah, it started as a, as a little tiny germ of an idea to get a bunch of artist friends together, yeah, and uh, interpret all those awesome 80s video game icons into some sort of recontextualized craziness that, uh, that we call I'm 8-Bit. It's kind of the Toontown version of video games in a way. It's like a bunch of characters coexisting in that, that awesome, cool era. Right, right. Now, we'll get into little uh, bits of it, hopefully, as we go on. But you, now, you didn't start out west. Where did you start? I, I started in, uh, I was born in the, the wee little town of Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. Wilkes-Barre? Are from a... <laughs> it's not too far from uh, from the Dr. Mifflin from uh, from the office where they're actually headquartered. Yeah. And then I moved to Michigan when I was about four, and uh, and grew up there in the, the nice Midwest cold and uh, in the humid summers. Broadcasting moved to California when I was eighteen. Yeah. Oh, I see. Well, we're broadcasting from the Lehigh Valley, so uh, we're very many miles away from Wilkesbury, but uh, close enough. Been there. Yeah, cool. Did you used to go to Knobles Grove? Uh, no, I, the, the only thing I really remember about Pennsylvania is uh, is Turkey Hills. Okay, I used to love going. To, I love to go to Turkey Hill and get the scratchers from uh, from the lady at the checkout counter. My grandpa would always take me. That's the most exciting story I have about Wilkesboro beyond the fact that it's super super ghetto now, and it's very easy to get raped or murdered walking down the street. Hey, but you know that that is a real life adventure. You're renegade right on the streets there. Yeah, it's, it's your real-life Grand Potato. Where did you play video games uh, as a youth? There's a little place called My Basement that had a bunch of stuff uh, from my older brothers, like an NES, Sega Master System. We had a Galaga machine, oh. an actual coin-up that my dad got for like $50 or so. At a, I don't even know where he got it. It just showed up one day. <laughs> uh-huh. cool. And then a, then a rat curled up in it and, uh, and died and, and killed the board somehow. And none of us knew anything about power supplies or boards or any of that ridiculous tech jargon so we just kind of let the machine sit there for years and do nothing and then uh, there's this little cool arcade called the beehive uh in michigan that we used to ride our bikes to oh uh, good that sadly has has closed down sure sure well hopefully they made a couple bucks off selling their black lights and strobe lights so uh, well now what took you out west to keep going west and west why that stopped right before i hit the ocean uh (laughs) It, uh, it was video game journalism, man. It was uh, when I was in high school, I, I got fed up with the school newspaper and mm-hmm. uh, I started submitting stories under the guise of being an actual real-life adult, despite the fact that I was like 15, 16, and, uh, and started writing video game reviews for the local news weeklies in Detroit, and then switched off to LA Weekly and started freelancing for like the men's mags. And my mom was pretending to be my uh, 
secretary or personal assistant when she answered the phone. So That's great. There was, a, there was this big ruse going on, and then uh, then I got a job offer to come out to L.A. Oh, and what, what, what company was that? With a now defunct and, uh, and very quickly defunct company uh, upon moving out here uh, called the Gamers Republic. It was a video game magazine from the founder of GameFan. And oh. I moved out, and then two months later, the magazine went out of business. And then a couple months later, we started Play Magazine. And then I stuck out for about a year, then went freelance and started doing stuff for like Wired and Vanity Fair and FHM and Maxim and all sorts of other crazy outlets. Oh, cool, cool. Writing right about video games and culture and all that, that awesome, fun stuff. And you can live in California doing that. That's something. Yeah, you know, it's... Uh, you gotta get a pick your grocery store that you shop at though, because you can't afford the expensive food at uh, at Whole Foods. You gotta go to like Ralph's or you know sure. one of the cheaper places. Sure, sure. You, gotta, yeah. you still gotta be cost conscious, but dude, you can live anywhere writing and covering video games if uh, if you're savvy. I guess it's uh, you just you just can't go to the clubs on the weekend and, and buy Dom Perignon. Like, you gotta be careful. You gotta you, gotta, you know. Avoid the excess. So. Right on. Yeah, I guess you just buy a big slat of uh, the uh, pecan rolls at the good old BJ's wholesaler. You live off that right. for a week. It's all about Costco and big, huge boxes of wine. That's all you need. <laughs> right on. Yeah, you know, and, I got... Xbox Live. Yeah. Oh, Xbox, Xbox Live. subscription is important, too. So what what happened with this now, the exhibit? When when did this when did this all come together? How did this come about? Let's hear about this. This is interesting. This is great. Uh it was about five years ago now. Uh, I guess more, more like five and a half years ago, the whole genesis of it, where uh, I walked into a, a gallery and said, hey, I like art. I like video games. Let's do a show. And I, I, I'm announced to them. Like, I, I really was totally unfamiliar with the art world. And, uh, and I really... They had no general knowledge of video games beyond the fact that, you know, they liked Pac-Man or Tapper or what have you. Sure, sure. So we just kind of joined forces and taught each other the the ways of the system. And, uh, and a year later, we had a, a crazy, insane art show that, you know, some 1,200 people showed up at, and the line was crazy. That's amazing. It was, uh, it was one of those... It was one of the things you couldn't really anticipate. It was, uh, it was cool in our eyes. It was a bunch of people interpreting 80s... You know, video game icons and worlds, and you know this awesome, cool hybrid collage of things. And when you see a line of people uh, nearly camped out waiting you in, it's, uh, it's it's a pretty awesome sight. Where did you pull the artists from? Are there, were these just people you bumped into that you knew, or it was kind of the genesis at the same time of uh, of places like MySpace. So uh, you got a, I had a lot of friends in animation because I was I was writing scripts for uh, like Nickelodeon and, and Disney Channel and Cartoon Network and stuff, and. Uh, so I knew a lot of just artists, background guys, character designers, like the whole slew of dudes. And uh, in the gallery had, you know, the resident you know, young guns that, that they were trying to promote. They, they were fairly new as a gallery to uh, 1988 on, uh, on Melrose in Hollywood. So uh, everyone was, like, very young and hungry, but we also kind of combed the Internet, the MySpaces of the world, and, uh, and kind of clicked through links of links of links of links and, and ended up finding some very, very cool guys that now are, are pretty awesome and famous but, but then we're just dudes posting little JPEGs online and, and hoping people will take notice. Right. If you go to wetalkgames.com that art is done by one of the artists of uh, Flapjack, the Thaddeus Caldrone. Yeah, Flapjack is uh, is one of those awesome hybrid shows too that, that combines all the great mediums like stop motion and 2D animation. Tons of cool artists working on that. And uh, it's of Stinky and uh, of uh, TT who are kind of 
it's kind of a little awkward sitting between them uh, the, this uh, episode uh, because of what happened last last uh, month. But we don't want to talk about that. another thing that's very interesting about this is that you initially had the idea to have the artists just render what they thought they were seeing on screen back in the day of these simple blocky pixely art deals what they what they really thought they were seeing how it made them feel but a lot of the artists it really didn't click with them and this might have led to success or but i like where it is and and everyone can see this online somehow i'm sure yeah, if you type an IMAPE into Google, uh, a million things pop up. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, but initially, the the whole show was about your interpretation of these really archaic, really super limited things on screen. And it wasn't really a redesign contest either. It wasn't about you know just taking Mario and showing as Mario in your style. It was right. more about showing us Mario in your world of how you envisioned Mario existing like in that time and like putting him in a scenario like putting him in things that are out of context things that are kind of wild and crazy perversions even uh, whether they be sexual or not um, taking these really limited personalities these, these icons that that are permitted but don't really have much functionality beyond the fact that like you know Mario wears a red hat and he wears blue overalls and he says five different phrases and mm. only has said five different phrases to his entire existence. <laughs> so, like, he's got a mustache. He's, you know, he's got a brother named Luigi. Like, it, it's all these, like, really general bullet points of things. Right, right. And it, it leaves so much room for you to fill in the blanks, which is, which is what's so awesome. And that's why, like, I feel if you were to take new games like a Tomb Raider or a, uh, you know, a Master Chief or Crash Bandicoot or any of these characters, like, they're so incredibly developed mm. you're not going to really be able to, to present them in any sort of wildly interpretive light like it, it's not as interesting sure sure to, to see that see that stuff as art because it, it's just so embellished already it, it would it, it takes a lot more effort to, to present that in some sort of new capacity that you haven't seen yet everything's so highly rendered now it's it's tough to have guys come in and really shed a new light on it right like, right yeah like Mario continues to reinvent himself because they've kept him limited like they, they've never really expanded beyond the horizons of you know those simple simple little traits and that's why he can fly around on a water gun because you didn't know that he did that yeah you got Super Mario Galaxy where he's in space jumping around uh, planets and stars you got <laughs> Super Mario Sunshine where he's just in a tropical island with some weird Ghostbusters pack and yeah crazy weird fire hose contraption and Luigi's Mansion like they they they're kind of like Abbott and Costello in a way. They, they can be yeah. into any sort of scenario. Like, which, I mean, all the great comedic actors of the world, like Chaplin's and Bob Hope's and all these guys, you could just toss them into things because it wasn't necessarily a characters they were playing. It was, it was them. Like, they were the persona. And it was Charlie Chaplin in this new place. It wasn't Charlie Chaplin's character in this new place, necessarily. Right, right. Bob Hope, you know, same thing. Like, Abbott and Costello. It was Abbott and Costello. Like, it wasn't Abbott and Costello playing someone in every movie. Right. Like, you were familiar, and the brand was them. It wasn't the franchise of the movies, which uh, which is exactly how old-school games are. Like, and the guys who have maintained the franchises have made it work effectively. Yeah. Uh, and then there's, there's been a lot of things that crash and burn, too, because they, they've overcomplicated things. Mm. Like it's, it's got too messy. 
Right on. Yeah, I can't wait till Mario and Luigi join the French Foreign Legion. That's going to be one of my favorite games. Oh, man. That, that, that game's available, actually, yeah. like overseas. It was, it was a very limited run. <laughs> it was a, a licensing deal gone sour. But. And speaking of, you know who has a lot of, a lot of room for development? Pong. Exactly. You can totally add another ball and <laughs> give them longer sticks. Yeah. And add a couple sound effects, and man, you've got a whole movie on you. you got a whole franchise. Yes, yes. Crazy. Yeah, I, I, liked, uh, I liked seeing all the dongs on the 8-bit characters. That was very nice. Nice little touches <laughs> like that. It's funny how, uh, in the context of, of the 8-bit show, how many, how many artists don't go sexual right away. Like, it, it's, it's really easy to do it. Sure. And, like, I, I definitely push against it unless it's a really creative version or, you know, it's a really, it's a really intelligent take on, on that. You know, just adding a <laughs> something. Adding a <laughs> something and putting boobs on it's you can get that on Google. That's that's easy. Sure. There's a there's this really cool artist, uh, Jude Buffum, who a couple years ago did four images, uh, all pixel art, but inter- interpreting Mario and Princess Peach and Bowser and, and Princess Zelda, all these kind of famous Nintendo characters in like weird sexual fantasies. Right, right. So it, and in the context of pixels, it was even more interesting because you don't usually see that kind of thing, but. It's kind of hard to describe, and it's it's much cooler to see. So if you Google Drew Buffum and uh, type in IMA bit, you'll probably find these pieces, and uh, you'll get a good chuckle. They're uh, they're very well conceived. Very good. He's a, he's a perverted, amazing artist. Now, who was the first uh, company or production or what have you to contact you to sort of start this push towards an actual brand uh, of the IMA bit? I know that you did some work on King of Kong. Was that the first uh, collaboration? Yeah, he- We've been kind of secretly doing a lot of things, and we, we still do a lot of projects that we don't uh, effectively brand necessarily. Oh, okay. it, it really depends on the it really depends on the project itself, and if it can really benefit from from our logo and, and, and whatnot. Like some things we do creatively because it's just an awesome gig, and uh, and we want to work on it. But it just makes sense to put our logo on something. It's not necessary. Like uh, like for instance, we just did a, a slew of stuff for Bioware for the Dragon Age Origins game that actually came out. Okay, great. Uh, today. And we made this awesome little uh, press kit mailer where we uh, got this little wax seal made and, and got uh, mana potions uh, and disguised them as darkspawn blood and, and included all these little wax sealed letters uh, you know, daring journalists to drink this uh, you know vial of red stuff, which uh, effectively was an energy drink uh, <laughs> that does not taste very good at all, but it, it looks cool. It's in a little mana potion bottle. And uh, they're in hand-burned boxes, and, you know, it's stuffed with hay. And, uh, very cool presentation, and, you know, you, you got your little review copy of the game, plus a little backstory letter. It's it's, uh, it's a very kind of a, like, story-based mailer, if you will. We, we try to contribute to the mythos of, of everything we work on. So it's not just a frivolous item that kind of gets passed out there, tchotchke, as they call them in the industry. Sure. Not a branded letter opener or, you know, t-shirt with a logo on it. It's right, more right. about kind of analyzing the game or the, the, the thing we're working on and figuring out what can we do to, to, to better that and, and to, to kind of convey the essence of this thing without making it cheesy or hokey, like try to sell the experience. So, uh, right. It's not the first a... big thing we did was, uh, was Mega Man 9 for Capcom, where we created this key art for the game because it was a digital download title, Xbox Live and PS3, 
and uh, WiiWare, where they didn't really have box covers. They weren't going to produce hard copies at all. Mm-hmm. But the lineage of Mega Man back in the day uh, on the NES was it had one of the worst pieces of art in video game history. Yeah. It was the worst conceived piece of cover art probably ever. Yeah. He's holding and, uh, a gun. Yeah, and it had yeah. He's holding a gun. It, it looks like it's going color pencil. It, it's just completely out of context of anything. Like it, it it's a real human dude. It, yeah. it, proportionally, perspective wise, everything about that piece is just awful. Yeah, but it was it was kind of part of the era too. Like there was sure. a lot of really bad art that came from video games, and people were really trying to overemphasize the excitement in something that was really archaic and limited. So Capcom came to us and and asked us if we could capture that essence effectively without making bad art mm. which is kind of a weird challenge like we don't want it to look so bad that it's just ugly but is it possible to achieve that while paying tribute but also making a cool piece and uh, so we made the key art uh, this amazing artist uh, Gerald De Jesus I did it up a long time friend who, uh, who style fit this project goes so perfectly and then we extend that into the whole idea of creating a physical prop for this non-boxed version of the game like it's digital so let's bring it back into the you know physical world like let's, let's really pay homage to the 80s gaming scene like when you went to Toys R Us and saw an NES car for 70 bucks in the showcase mm. so we, uh, we made a fake box we, uh, we wrote copy for the back you know like designed the whole thing out to, to really to really feel like an NES car uh, package that you're buying at any number of you know Sears uh, department store video game sections, and, uh, and then we took old NES carts and gutted them and put little mini CDs inside, magnetized them, relabeled them, uh, and, like went the whole full Monty on it, and uh, fans reacted in a really awesome way. Like oh, yeah. we we even shrink wrapped it and price tagged it as if it was like in a bargain bin, like to kind of really convey the 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 whole '80s vibe of things like it was it was meant to be this you know this thing of discovery like oh, like one it's memories that are harking back but two it's like it's an experience of putting it up it's it's like a cool process and it looks like a normal cart then you split it open and there's a CD inside with a bunch of cool artwork and stuff too but what we didn't realize the effect of it was people didn't want to open it people were terrified to even like break the shrink wrap seal like there was there was this wild collector's market going on almost instantly when people saw that piece of art and they just spurred out of control to the point where these things were that were originally just given to press and eventually sold on Capcom's online store for 50 bucks started going for like $1,200 on eBay. <laughs> and, uh, like everything was handcrafted. Like it, it, everything was hand cut. Like it was all produced with loving care. So it was really cool to see that happen, but it was also shocking. Like you don't really expect uh, the community to react in, in such an awesome way. Like, you can't really anticipate that. Like, it's, especially for a game that was a risk. It was Mega mm. Man 9 not reinvented. It wasn't in 3D. It was literally built on the same architecture right. of the NES. It, it was old school, like, wholly and truly. Like, there was nothing innovative about it beyond the fact that it was another Mega Man game as if it was released 20 years ago. So, no one, including Capcom, thought it was going to sell as well as it did, let alone get the reaction it did. You know, John, I think that's important, though, and I'm really glad uh, about the success of, of Mega Man 9 because I think the reason that this is popular is not just because it's nostalgic. I mean, of course, you know, it, it has that effect on some people, the nostalgia. Some people 
probably come to your galleries, they, they don't even know anything about video games. Just to uh, take in the artwork, take in the, the uh, atmosphere, uh, experience uh, something new. But I think it's important um, and, and successful because that 8-bit, 16-bit, those pixels, that is a video game. You know, I'm, I know that we we can experience uh, this looks so real, this looks amazing, and and that's good, and that that can still keep going as well. But a video game is is more like these pixels moving around. So uh, I'm very happy as well about the success of Mega Man Nine. I'm glad that you were a big part of that because just that that Mega Man Nine artwork. I know just from my own experience when I first saw it, when I first heard about it, and doing this show, uh, that was a big deal. It was a big deal that was, uh, that you went there. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where no one had really done a press kit like that before. Mm. Right? Before we sat there and then started thinking about like what could be special for this game. Like you, like again, like usually press kits were branded T-shirts that they sent uh, in one size only. That kind of hangs DPT is like itchy, awful, thick cotton, you know, bull- logo tees. Like no one really wears those beyond you know jogging or sleeping and. Big- so to do something special and to do something on a budget that like you know could be effectively set out without breaking the bank was was kind of a challenge. And, and now now we're seeing a lot of it go on. Like it, there's this kind of renaissance, if you will, some sort of revolution happening where people are realizing that like if you take pride in doing cool stuff, if you spend a little more money and and really put effort into to doing creative stuff, you're not only going to see more press come from it and more attention, but you're going to appease the people who buy your games. You're going to make them happy. Sure. Like You're going to give them something that pays tribute to all these things that they love and adore. Like, And it comes from a fan perspective. It's like, I'm a huge Mega Man fan. Like, it was an opportunity of a lifetime in a way just because that was one of the games that I really was obsessed with when I was growing up and continued to be throughout the years, like into the SNES era and beyond. Very good. It's it's one of those things where like any project we take on, it's something that we we have to really like. If you take on something that that just doesn't make sense for you personally, like you're not going to have the passion for it. So, sure. like when we choose our marketing projects, it's it's always stuff that that really makes sense for us. Like stuff that isn't necessarily retro or you know in the context of like the eight bit era, but just stuff that makes a fanboy get a. <laughs> gotcha. We're huge, yeah. We're huge into the, the microscopic view of things, like really figuring out presentation and making things look really pristine and cool, like giving stuff character, you know? Like, sure, like sure. Telling a story with every element. And and it got to a point, even with the Mega Man 9 kits, where the price tags we put on, the, the general conceit was, uh, don't you know be really delicate with the price tags. You want to put them on like you hate your job. Like, you work at Walmart, and you've just worked six hours, you just got out of school, That's and you have to hold a price gun for, you know, four more hours before you get to go home, yeah. and you've got to price a thousand Mega Man 9 cards. Like, you hate your life. You're right. just going to, like, do it as fast as you can. Make it messy. And so, uh, so some are upside down. There's, there's you know, double tags, triple tags. There's quadruple layer tags. It's, yeah. we, we bought an old price gun for that very reason. Yeah. Kind of... Like it, it doesn't function as well as modern price guns do. Sure, like you've got to have, you've got to go back and, and really figure out what stuff looked like. You can't really emulate it. You've got to use that stuff. Yeah. You got to find that old paper. You got to, you got to find that old technology. Yeah, you're giving me bad flashbacks because I was actually old enough to work in that era. So I remember at Kmart in 1983 in the toy department. 
I wasn't very happy. So let's uh, let's change the topic here. But that's that's amazing. That that's fantastic. Now, will there be a video game of I am Eight Bit? Uh, there are there are things that we're working on. Uh, not necessarily a, a game of I am Eight Bit per se, but a series of productions that uh, that that follow certain rules, uh, certain aesthetics of the Eight Bit era. So not necessarily pixel games, not necessarily old school graphics by any sense, but you know the the general conceits of, of what the era was all about. Like there's there's certain things I love about old games that new games never conquer, that, mm-hmm. that never adhere to. Like the idea of there never being an ending. Mm-hmm. Like I, I love that old arcade games literally never give you a story based ending. Like no. they it's all about skill and it's all about earning that high score. Like that's that's a beautiful thing that does really doesn't really exist anymore. Geometry Wars a couple things have come out that have hit big, but like very few games really predicate themselves on that. We're, we're working on stuff. Like we'll, we'll see what happens in the next year or so. But, turn uh, it over, man. Turn it over. That's what it was yeah. all about back in the day. When uh, hey, turn that game over. Uh, it's cool though to see like we wear in, in Xbox Live, mm. uh, you know, like PlayStation Marketplace, all this stuff come to fruition. Like it's now becoming viable to do something small. It's big. Like. Three, four years ago, no one would have picked up a tiny little game. But now you see things like Pac-Man's Championship Edition or, or Geometry Wars or any number of games that, that really do hit big. And they're minuscule in comparison to budgets for like the, the latest GTA. Like sure. They're not spending $100 million on a game. They're spending a couple hundred grand with a couple dudes that in a small office somewhere and it's it's great to see things like castle crashers and mm. uh, behemoth doing really cool stuff like on you know with small teams it's weird to, to have such a large production so that like the indie film scene if you will sure sure to run parallel in the fun fun area and in the success area as well it's it's yeah. it's a great time yeah, and finally yeah, and finally they found an outlet where like they can actually be successful it's it's not just passion projects anymore like you can literally make something for nothing and make good money off of it you can make a living a couple years ago that wasn't really possible what other ways is the brand progressing more and more we're doing these these kind of corporate events that that very much defy the the corporate mentality if you will like it's not just the get in line and get an autograph it's it's all about living and breathing that thing like that experience so uh, like street fighter club for capcom we uh oh yeah we orchestrated a bunch of events where they were, they were literally like underground fight clubs in New York and L.A. where kids would come and enter into a really desolate, broke-down, you know, palace of debris and uh, amidst all the rubble was a bunch of Street Fighter Four cabinets. And they walked away with lots of exclusive goodies, cool DJs, uh, cool vibe. And for four hours, you are treated to a party for free. Like, all you got to do is be a fan and show up. And, and that's what we're really trying to push uh, is the idea of community being a huge component of success of things in, in oh, the yeah. industry. As much as it is film or music or anything, it's you got to support those hardcore fans. Like, yeah. You can't just expect them to always love you, like even though they probably will. Like you got to respect the fact that these guys are diehards, and like they are the ones that are going to spread the word. So you should share that stuff with them early. Like you should really, you should really feed into that and give them exclusive cool stuff. Like don't print a thousand T-shirts. Print a hundred T-shirts. Mm. Do the things that are special for them. So like we we always follow that caveat too. Where if we're going to do an event, if we're going to do something special, it is going to remain special. It's not going to be something mass-produced, whether it's super popular or, you know, it falls flat. 
it's all about the, the limited edition aspect of it. It's all about that badge of honor that I was there, I did this thing, I have this shirt, and if you see that another person with that thing, like it's it's almost like a high school reunion in a way. It's like you you were in so and so's class. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a cool experience. Like when you when you can go and buy something at Hot Topic. And, and it's over. A guy with a, a fake vintage Journey T-shirt. Yeah, it's not really as exciting as no. you know walking into a guy. We, like for instance, we were in New York a couple months ago and uh, walking around Dumbo in, in Brooklyn, uh, right near the Brooklyn Bridge, and uh, we literally saw a guy wearing a Street Fighter Club T-shirt from New York. And maybe two hundred people came to that event. And super, super like secretive and the odds of us seeing one guy in Brooklyn that came to that thing like on the street like on any given day was was pretty amazing and we just kind of like like shouted like Street Fighter Club and he he shouted back and then we just kept walking but it's (laughs) it's those moments that are really cool sure sure those are the things that like make us happy right on man hey well I'm delighted for your success it's really really great and thank you so very much for taking the time to come on and talk to the little guys here at We Talk Games I'm pregnant. Oh, what? Wait a minute. Hey, oh. for making out. All we did was kiss. Uh-oh, John, yeah, I'm, so, uh, I'm sorry. I got to go because this is a, this is a bombshell. Uh, T.T. Schmootkins here. Um, like I guess you're not very educated in robot physiology. I guess not. But, uh, yeah. You, uh, you have some... Uh Planned Parenthood meetings to, to attend. This, is, this isn't going to be good, I'll tell you that. I'll have my lawyer contact your lawyer. I don't even have a lawyer. Have him contact my rabbi. All right. Hey, John, thank you so much for, for being a part of this. Much, much more successful. We'll have to get together and uh, run down the list of artists we might know from uh, California there and see if uh, any of them line up. I think there's uh, there's some connections here. Some of our Kubert pals. Oh, yeah, man. Well, thank you again. This is fun. Right on, man. Bye now. All right. Later, man. Adios. All right, TT. What's this all about here? Did you know about this, Stinky? What do you mean, did I know? I don't know that. I kissed her. Don't tell Kyle. (laughs) Don't tell Kyle? Where are you going? I'm out of here, losers. Uh, Hey, 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 hey. I'm gonna... I'm gonna go, too. I just don't have the energy to, to... I can't chase people down. We got a. What are we doing now? Council. All right, uh, Keith, uh, get Kyle and uh, who I won't tell. I don't know why. Uh, get Kyle and John back on the line. We're gonna just go. Let me compose myself. Wait, wait a second. <clears throat> Let me compose myself. Okay, go ahead. Open it up. All right, now I have everyone back on uh, the whole We Talk Games Council of Video Game Millionaires. Kyle Von Kubik, John Carberry, E-Capcom, <laughs> and myself, Wiggly, Wiggly, Richie, Chizzy Wig Checks. Uh, so welcome, Council. Hello. Hello. And let me get the gavel here. I don't have a gavel. I'm sort of making things up. I have to bang scissors. Uh, okay, okay, here we go. I'll bang. There we go. That's my uh, train Just whistle. Just don't run with them. No. Now, you can run with a train whistle, but then that's really gross when you land on that, uh, depending on which way you're facing. Today's question posed to the council is going to be a yes or no question. So this will make today's council go quite briefly. And the question is, and will please, <clears throat> dear... We Talk Games Council of Video Game Millionaires. 
Video games, yes or no? Uh, yes. Yes? Okay, so John says yes. Kyle? No. No? Okay. I, I'm also going to say no. So there you have it. The answer is no. Europe says yes? Well, Europe is wrong, as usual. Now, the divide continues. <laughs> well, yes. See, this is what separates uh, the East from the West. <laughs> yeah, the uh, West from the West there. Yeah. Now, uh, now John, while you're on, is there anyone that you know of, either from Scotland or Ireland, that says, that's thinking with your dipstick and then whips you with an actual car dipstick? Uh, Maybe. I, I know some people who are all into cars, and uh, they have done some weird things with oil measuring sticks before, so yeah, probably. And then they call you Jimmy. Oh, of course, yeah. Okay. The all right. So just full of Jimmys over here. So this is, uh, this, is, this is historically accurate for one of our car commercials over here. Very good. Great to know. Okay, Council, uh, meeting adjourned. Thank you all for your participation. And actually, we do have two panel topic suggestions. We may get to both of them. And that is from John F. Seiler. You may remember him from his review of the uh, Paxel of some sort. Yes. Uh, he he uh, queries, and both queries are without any type of question markages. So uh, I'm not really sure they're queries. They're more like he- statements that we need to expound on. He's too metal for question marks. (laughs) Yes. He says, I don't know if this has been brought up, but the topic of digital download only future, period. I personally think that it's about as absurd as the thought of a one console future. So let's talk about digital download and a digital download only future. Is this absurd? Why? We have the iPhone. We have the iPod Touch. That's digital download only. You can't put a CD on that thing. Now, you may question the, the quality, length, and style genre of games available for this. And if sure. they are indeed perhaps their own types of games. And I've, I've uh, waxed on about this briefly before. That definitely is digital download only. And, of course, now Sony's PSP Go is uh, digital download only. Mm-hmm. So, do you think that this is far fetched? Are we always going to be relying on uh, mega gigabit spinning media, the same type of media that has been in use since the invention of spinning media in the late 1800s? Kyle, no, I actually, I, I don't think it's as absurd as let's say a one console future. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think this is something that developers are very interested in. And I think they see a huge potential. I think things like the downloadable fun at home that we've been having Mm -hmm. the last couple of years has really shown that this is very viable. Mm. And the PSP Go is a good example of this. However, Sony, like many other things, as of right now, is kind of dropping the ball with it because they didn't commit. Because it's scary. It's scary to put out a, a console. I think a handheld's the perfect way to go in mm-hmm. the beginning stages of this. Sure. But I think it's scary to just say, you know, no, no more media, no more failed UMDs. We're just going to go strictly download. Yeah, I think you have to be uh, Apple if you want to just cut away from the teat, as it were. Uh, right. Well, uh, Apple's had a lot of success in video games. I mean, we only have to look back at the pip in it to know that. But- <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but I'm more referring to when they decided to release their iMac. 
Macs, and they were going to not have anything except USB ports. Yes, I think. But they had nothing to lose at that point. Yeah, true. I mean, really, true. that's what it was. Right. They were backed into a corner, and that yeah. really sh- shot them into the stratosphere. And then they came along with the iPod, and the iPod Touch is a good example of digital downloading game, you know, happening. The problem is, like you said, it's uh, quantity over quality. And it, it really isn't a video game device. I mean, I know they say they're trying to, you know, pitch it that way. And mm-hmm. originally it wasn't that way. It was just for these applications. But, you know, like um, computing back in the day, everybody wants to play games on these things. We don't want to crunch numbers. or you Sure. Know, do, you know, that's nice that we can do that. But we want to play games. We want to be entertained. We want to be distracted from life knowing that, like, hey, here's a nice little distraction. I, I know you're dying every day, but look, here, play this for a couple hours. This will be fun. Yes, this is the future. I really do think it's the future. We're starting to see uh, new games, dro- or newer games, drop on Xbox that you can download. Mm-hmm. And uh, the PlayStation has their library that's starting to open up as far as PlayStation 1 games are concerned. And there's been chat about Dreamcast games going in. But I think the retro thing will soon phase out. We're going to see more and more contemporary games. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we're even seeing it with the Kindle. And not that this has anything to do with video games, but this is an example of downloadable distribution where now we're having uh, mass ebooks put on a device or the iPod where a lot of people's music collection now physically doesn't exist. It's mm-hmm. bits and bytes in a computer. Right, right. And then yeah. this opens up a whole other discussion about the digital download tax that's happening. The fact that they want to tax it mm. shows that this really is economically feasible. Right on. What, what do you have to add to that? And don't forget about the Barnes & Noble e-reader, the Nookie or whatever it's called. I love the Nookie. <laughs> I did it all for it. Yeah, most the people cool thing do. About, uh, the cool thing about what Apple did, they sneaked that kind of digital download game thing into the world without it really noticing. Yeah. You know, it was like, here's the iPhone, here's the iPod Touch, and then the games came. It yeah. was like, you got a, it wasn't the games that sold that. Right. It wasn't like the end gauge. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. I think that was the genius move of them. I think that's the way... I think that's why that succeeded. They kind of catered their games maybe for the audience who would just buy that phone straight away and then drag other people straight in. Do you think they did that uh, consciously, or do you think that it sort of just happened? I think probably they did it consciously, because, I mean, you don't declare war on the DS... No. You know, that's just something you don't do. I'd, Apple are a smart company. I didn't imagine they had that point. You know, I would agree that I, I believe it was more of a byproduct of of apps and people's laziness to come up with apps and say, "I just want to, you know, put Pac Man on here uh, yeah. and make a or make a stick figure jump a motorcycle into the side of a building or something like that." I think I think uh, games might not have been right in Apple's forefront in their crosshairs, but once it started rolling and once games became viable on there, I think then they definitely knew that they should be going in this direction yeah but as you mentioned with cds and and things like that i mean no one bats an eye at i mean who buys music cds anymore it's 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 pretty rare right and i've been involved with transcoding my files to mp3 and selling mp3 files for quite some time i mean it's still it's still a big medium to transport compressed files and things like this it's still viable to have some type of disk drives and things like this but as bandwidth penetrates more of the consumer market as bandwidth increases there's no reason why we couldn't have a completely digital download future 
I'd imagine in the next generation or the generation after that, I wouldn't see it as being out of question at all. Mainly because you're going to have now a generation of kids growing up who, like as you said, who will never buy a CD. Mm-hmm. You know, as that kind of culture grows, you're going to have people who not only don't know what it's like to buy a, uh, a physical copy of something, they won't want it. Right. They'll want that straight away, you know, instant gratification sale, you know? Yeah. And um, I'd imagine there will always be, like, how do I put it, like a collectors, you know, who will buy the special edition that comes in a box and whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. At some point and comes with a t-shirt and a key ring. Right. Those people will always exist. Right, but right. Everything's getting faster. And I think video games are definitely going to move faster, you know, into that kind of like just download. And on top of that, you're dealing with a corporate culture these days. People downloading stuff is a lot cheaper than having to put right. um, product on shelves. Sure. I mean, they are like as soon as it becomes a hundred, like as soon as they start making more money from downloading video games or selling video games to download, you'll see the physical sale just driven out i'd imagine sure i mean i know we're not there yet i know a lot of people are still on dial-up modems and things like this but big shout out to kentucky how you doing (laughs) thanks for downloading the show (laughs) three of you yeah and you know it takes them two days to download one episode of our our show in the library yeah yes in the library (laughs) very good i hate Uh, for all three of us to agree but really i mean it's so obvious that we're in the beginning stages of this sure and it all comes down to the bottom dollar they don't really i mean they care about the consumer but they really don't care about the consumer what it it comes down to is they don't like GameStop muscling them for exclusives you know I'm talking of developers now they don't like the fact that they get no money from those used game sales so we're seeing that where there's special codes that only activate once and there's more talk now that it's going to be that you have to put a code in to get the full ending of a game that way when a used copy comes through you don't get the full game and you have to go on download more content and give the money back to the developers (laughs) developers don't want to deal with that nonsense they want the money up front but A little bit of the flip side of this is if we're going to go to a downloadable future, download distribution, and and by the way, uh, Steam and goodoldgames.com, PC-wise, they're knocking it out of the park as far as this downloadable content is concerned. They're great examples of having a good user interface and making all these things accessible. Going back to what I'm saying, I just hope we don't get hit over the head with $60 games when now you don't have to worry about shelf space or shelf rot or printing physical discs or or how many you sell. Or trucks delivering. You don't have to bury E.T. cartridges in the desert anymore. Now the three people who want to play E.T. on the 2600 can just download it. Yeah. What's the rental scene like in America? Like, do you, is there places that rent games? Sure, sure. And uh, as a matter of fact, there's, you know, Gamefly, which is a mail-like. It's sort of like the um, Netflix, yeah. Netflix it's enough, of It's a of great example games. of how lazy we've become that we don't even want to drive to the brick-and-mortar <laughs> store anymore. I mean, yeah. that really is taking a, a blockbuster who is our, you know, big chain as far as renting is concerned, yeah. is taking a huge hit because it's just so much easier to have it shipped to you. Yeah. So was, it only makes sense that it will be easy. easy even easier to just download it instead of even walking in the mailbox. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just, uh, such an evolution. I was recently working for a large video game uh, slash DVD rental chain. Okay. And uh, I was told by them that they had to convince Nintendo to, um, you know, to rent and have been trying to get Nintendo back on 
to renting games ever since the N64 after the N64 like went away mm-hmm. Nintendo just said no no we just want the money and um, Nintendo hates video game rental especially and yeah. they hate you know people trading games or whatever and Nintendo I mean they're obviously one of the three major powers so as soon as Nintendo can stop people from renting or selling games on they will and if downloading is the quickest way to do it then they're going definitely going to go that way well thanks go to John Sealer Siler Seller for that question and of course discussion Yes, and another panel topic suggestion from Dan12000. I remember when he was just Dan2000. Uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts on the let the computer play for you mode in the new Super Mario Brothers, if you think more games should implement it or not. Now, I'm a big uh, supporter of let the computer play for you mode. I don't know how well it works on the new Super Mario Brothers, but I know how I uh, love games that do that. In fact, the majority of my sports titles, that's the way I, I play it. Watch the game play for me. Can you uh, drop a dime on this? Because I have I, I don't really understand the the question. Like I read it, and I'm just not sure. Like what kind of mode? Like when you're watching the game play itself, or like if you were to watch a on the track screen. Yeah, like I, what does it exactly mean to let the? Does it assist you, or are you physically just watching the computer play itself? With New Super Mario Brothers, the way it is, okay, if you die eight times on any particular level, yeah. then a uh, safe pass mode, I think it's called, comes up, and like it'll show Luigi uh, playing through the level, and it'll show you how to get past all the uh, past all the difficult lo- obstacles without oh. giving away the secrets and stuff like that. Oh, okay. I don't know. I mean, it looks interesting. It's the classic kind of modern Nintendo pandering to the people who aren't tough enough to get to the standard. Suck is what you're trying to say. Well, yeah, now yeah. let's uh, now hold on a second here. Now, when <laughs> when it's implemented properly, uh, and the game that I had completely in my target, since target is the operative word in this segment, would be the Fire Pro Six Man Scramble. When I got that game, there's so much AI built into it, and so many levels of tweakability that I would create my characters and then let them wrestle each other without having to, you know, ever learn when I was supposed to hit my punch button after the lockup. Now, I completely was able to play through it and unlocked all the things and, and, and did play the game. But I do like when games have very sophisticated AIs mm-hmm. and as is the case with the Fire Pro series, that lends itself to more than just the gameplay of the matchup. A lot of the draw of the Fire Pro series to me is the, the amount of sophisticated creator wrestler functionality that's built into it so that, and the level of detail to each character. Right. So you can see if you can build uh, somebody good. Another uh, feature like this that, well, I, I thought it was like this, was that robot game for the GameCube. Of course you're talking about Robo Sapien for the game. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Watch me boogie. Let's boogie. Custom Robo for the GameCube is a good example. Now, I thought that you were going to build your own robot and let it fight, but you actually do, I believe you control the robots. I'm not an expert on Custom Robot, so I could be very wrong. But games where you build something and then let them fight, 
and I don't think Pokemon is a good example because you, maybe you could give your Pokemon extra gimmicks to use and stuff like that. But it, more into <laughs> more more into the Pikachu, building. Take letting. this folding chair. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Think that stops yeah, if they did that, that would be awesome. You know, and what's Magic Carp <laughs> use light tube. <laughs> there you go. I hold it with the bag of powder and the ice. That'd be the one we use. That'd be awesome. Uh, yeah, I, I just I think that this kind of game mode, if I'm wrapping my head around it correctly. I guess would be good for if that was like an option, like a training mode, or like with a uh, Fire Pro, where you sit, you sit back and you watch your creations go at it. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, something like a, a strategy game or first-person shooter, or something that is relatively skill-based. I think it kind of takes the legs out from under it if those kind of modes are implemented. But what about like on Wipeout when you one of your power-up pickups is the autopilot? That's pretty cool. Yeah, that is cool. I guess it's all how it's used. It's all subjective. Yeah. You know, it's um, it's good for some, not for all. And it should be used in... point to the uh, Fire Pro Wiggly. Okay. Do you know uh, anyone who's playing any of the recent uh, SmackDown versus Raw games will, uh, I hope, agree with me that one of the most annoying let the game play for you elements is when you pick a tag team. You're yes. only allowed to control your guy, <laughs> yeah. and the computer is the other, and they act like the biggest jobber on the planet <laughs> by going out and getting squashed by everybody. Sure, and you sure. have to like stay in and take a beating from everyone else, and it's just terrible. I hate that so much. I don't well, know if either one of you played this, but um, Raw for the Xbox. Yeah, you remember, remember Raw that? for the sure. Xbox? Yeah. That had such broken AI <laughs> that the people you'd have conflicts with in the back room yeah. would run out and beat up your opponents <laughs> and once i learned this with my friend i would go and find triple h and give him the sharpest backhand across the face in hopes that during our match he would run out and beat up my friend instead of me and that's exactly what happened every wow. time wow i also enjoyed beating up stacy keebler for some reason i have no idea why <laughs> maybe the dress i, I went for the crotch punch always uh, on her. very very humorous i have no idea why but you know they've been doing this AI plays for you for quite some time in sports games. Like if you if you after the snap, like in Madden or something, if you don't touch your controls, it takes yes. over for you. Yeah, Madden is a good example of that because there is such fairly good AI that you just have to pick a really good play, especially when you're doing defense. Mm-hmm. You know, offense it's a little different because you do want to be the guy who catches the ball and runs it. But with something like defense, I mean, more times than not, and I, I have played uh, Madden 10 recently. If you just pick the correct defense lineup, then you're pretty much covered, and you, you're the guy you're controlling can just run around in circles. Yeah, yeah. Well, how about as it applies to this uh, to action platformers? What do you think about this? Now, if it's just a, some type of instructional thing, after you lose so many times, I, I think that's perfectly fine. I think that's great. As a matter of fact, wouldn't like it in Trials HD because yeah. isn't that that the fun of it? Trying to figure out which it, the best ways to pick. So see, that's a skill game. So yeah. you, do, you wouldn't want that, but like. What Splosion Man did was fine, where it was just like, okay, you, you want to take the coward's up. way out? Yeah. You just skip the level. That's fine. I don't know if I like Explosion Man telling you how to play it. I don't, oh. you know, hmm. and Trials. I don't know if it, I like the idea. I guess it's it's no different than being back in the late 80s, early 90s and cracking open an EGM sure. to find the pro player's tips or whatever. Right. But it, I don't know. It's just like too, too much hand-holding, I think, hmm. with something like that. I think, John. I think with action platformers and RPGs and stuff like that, I kind of prefer figuring it out myself, but I do like hints. 
Okay. You know, like with Navi in Zelda, where it'll tell you where to go or whatever else. I like that kind of stuff. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But um, I don't. I, I'm not. Sh- I guess it depends on how well implemented the people who make the game make. I mean, let's know? face it, Mario action platformer. Oh, how do I do this? You know, jump. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, use your, use your helicopter hat. You know what I mean? I guess they're hoping kids will play this or something. Sure, sure. Won't even know how to hold the Wiimote sideways <laughs> properly. Or... That's yeah, but that's... I don't, look, it's. I hope there's it's... a Wii balance board function. <laughs> I don't. Think uh, where you land with your crotch on the thing? And... Yeah, you just smash the balance board as you jump on top of it. All right, but... fellas. Well, oh, go, oh, go ahead. Final thoughts. Uh, no, <laughs> that's my response to holding your hand through video games. Okay. No. Maybe it's fine as long as you can turn it off if you want. Gotcha, yes. gotcha. And uh, you know, this sounds like it only comes into play when you when you're a miserable losing dork. Yeah. So that's it good. Just prompts you: Are you a baby? <laughs> yes or no? Very yes, good. I... All right, guys. Well, hey, thanks for joining me in this council. This ended a lot better than last month's council, which, by the way, ended with a big thanks going out to Soupy Sales, who did not make it on the show. Uh, yeah, thanks to sure. Kyle, and then he died. So yeah, I got uh, to apologize. I was a little depressed on uh, last month's panel uh i was heartbroken over the closing of the matrix online being closed i was just heartbroken about it so well cheer up star trek online's coming in 2010s i can't wait you'll fight over who gets to be captain kirk (laughs) (laughs) i can't wait for the amount of captain karks you know people who are just like hey uh, i didn't get kirk but no desire to play any of those games. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, save it for next uh, episode. Hey, thanks for joining me, guys. Talk to you later. Bye. Rock and roll. Bye. All right. And we got one more correspondent in the queue. First time calling in. Open the line, Keith. Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Joining us for the first time, Jasonia. Welcome to the show, Jasonia. Oh, why, thank you, Wiggly. It's a pleasure to be here. And Jasonia is going to bring a new feature to the show. We're going to focus more intensely on achievements. Now, I assume this is achievements for the Xbox 360. That is correct. Hold on. Go ahead. Now, do you have a PlayStation 3 yet? I do, actually. I, oh, okay. I had one, and I sold it, and when they gave away 10 free Blu-rays, I'm like, I better buy another one. Well, you know, it does everything. So maybe we can even get some of those uh, trophies in there at some point. Are you, are you as passionate about trophies as you are about achievements? Uh, not yet, but I'd like to sometime in the future. I, I agree. PlayStation 3 provides everything except for fun so far to me, but it's not bad. I I don't hate on it, that's for sure. Very good. Well, what are we going to talk about achievements today? Let's get this going. Sure. I wanted to bring a little different viewpoint to these games, and I believe that there's so much more to a game nowadays, as you pointed out, than just the entertainment you get from actually playing through the story and and looking at the beautiful, shiny graphics. Mm -hmm. And being a completionist myself, I pick up a lot of games just to try to finish them 100%, and nowadays that means getting all the achievements possible. Right, right. So I have three games that I've played recently that I thought I would share what my achievement experiences were. And the first was Borderlands, which came out not too long ago. And I usually stay away from the more popular titles that come out. And one of my friends got it for me for cheap, so I got into it. 
And I have to say that I actually enjoyed the game quite a bit. On the achievement side, I would say that it's surprisingly entertaining to try to unlock all the achievements because they pretty much take you through the story in the game and that makes getting the achievements relatively easy. So I, I enjoy that part of it when they tie into the storyline and things like that. We had Kirby on. He talked about Borderlands a little bit earlier in the show. And this is a big, big release title. So is it chock full of achievements? It is chock full and overflowing with achievements. It's your standard 1,000 points, um, but there is some DLC coming out in the near future, which probably will add more achievements. Specifically, I suppose how I'd like to date Borderlands, and this is how I, I kind of speak about achievements, is I look at three things. I look at the time it takes to get all the achievements and kind of the difficulty and then the fun involved. So in this game, I would say if you want to get all 1,000 points on the retail disc it's about 30 to 35 hours of gameplay okay um difficulty pretty easy i would say three out of ten with one being like the easiest possible and then for the fun it's uh seven with my scale being 10 is the most fun game in the world the achievements bring you more into the game i think and it really you don't go out on meaningless tasks just to get the achievements so i i recommend this as a game and for the achievements themselves okay very good now, do you normally like uh, role-playing type of games? I don't get into them that much. I, the last one I can think of playing hardcore is probably Final Fantasy, the very first one for Nintendo. So that was a long, long time ago. <laughs> okay. Uh, but I've played other games throughout the years. I've played Diablo here and there. and I, they, they keep my interest quite a bit. In the reviews that I've read, people have described it as more RPG than first-person shooter, and I'm actually in the other camp. I think it's more first-person shooter. So okay. if you're a big fan of those type of titles, I think you'd have more fun at it. But it certainly has both sides to it, and it covers a lot of genres, and I think a lot of people would be entertained by it. Very good. What else we got? Game number two. This game came out earlier in the year. It's called Sonic's Ultimate Game Collection, or as I call it, Sega's Cash Grab 2009. <laughs> uh, it, it basically is 30 to 40 smaller Sega games throughout the years, put on one disc, right. and uh, they put Sonic's name on it so that people would buy it more. But it does contain some Sonic games. I played it simply for the achievements. My friend borrowed it to me and said, here you go. And to get the total 1,000 achievement points, it would take you all of five hours. So very quick game to get the achievement points taken care of. Pretty easy, too. And fun-wise, it, it keeps your interest for a while, but you get really bored just going through each game, taking care of, like, one level at a time, and then moving on to the next. So I wouldn't recommend this as a game unless you love Sega, and I would recommend it, though, if you're just looking for a quick 1,000 points. Right on. And you don't just unlock uh, points, so I think you also unlock like videos and little uh, tchotchke type of memorabilia about the glory days of Sega. That is true. You do unlock some artwork and some interviews with various game creators, but as I alluded to, I believe if you don't know who they are or don't care much <laughs> about Sega, probably not going to interest you that much. Right on. Well, at least Johnny Capcom and I uh, can enjoy enjoy uh, trying to get through those. And now that I know all those points are in there, now I have this for the PS3, so I think I'll stick that in there and try to get some easy trophies. Oh, absolutely. I think one of the things they built into it which makes it tremendously easy to get the trophies or achievements is that because it's kind of like an emulator, it allows you to save your game progress pretty much at any stage. Therefore, you can save often and 
basically, if you make a mistake, just go back in time, basically, and correct yourself. So that makes getting things unlocked very easy. And doesn't it tell you what the goal is of each level, like what it would take to unlock an achievement in there? It does. There is a title screen or main menu, I believe, which says, here's what you have to do to unlock this certain extra. And that's actually a feature that I'm seeing a little bit more in games these days, which I quite prefer. Game developers are finally realizing that those of us who are playing for trophies or achievements would like to see what it takes to unlock them and how far we are along in our progress of doing so. And that's just an added feature, so we don't have to wonder, you know, how many of these thousand kills have we gotten already and stuff like that. Right, right. will tell us what's missing. Right on, man. What else we got? What's the last one? Well, the third one I wanted to speak about was Sacred 2. Now, this one is one that I'm probably most excited about because I've heard almost no press and no talk about it, but I absolutely love this game, and it's Diablo 2-like completely. A little bit lacking on the story, but as a, as a game, it's basically Diablo, which everybody in the world's waiting for Diablo 3, so while that's not out yet, pick up Sacred 2. And the thing about this game is it takes up hours of your life just hours one run through in the storyline is about 20 hours and uh if you want to unlock all the other good stuff and getting into the achievements a little bit if you want to start working on achievements i am by my estimations like 300 hours in kind of makes me feel a little sad that i spent this much time in the game but you really get value for what you pay for it obviously if you're spending hundreds of hours in a game unfortunately for the achievements this translates into many, many, many hours in-game to unlock all the achievements. My estimation is for a 1,000 points, you're going to be spending anywhere from 150 to 400 hours playing. Wow. That's a massive time commitment. Who has that I'm not right in the head, so, of course, I'm trying to do that. Right on. It's not that difficult, really, to unlock the achievements, and the game is fun for your first playthrough and a little bit into it, but then it's just a massive grind of hours, and... It is a good game. I would recommend it as a game if you like any kind of Diablo game. I'd say this is great pickup. But if you're looking at achievements, stay far away from this game. Right on, man. Hey, well, that was great. Hope that you could join us again in the future to tell us more about achievements and uh, what games we should look at and look for and look why. Jasonia, thanks, man. Hey, we'll talk to you later. Uh, Sir Wiggly, thank you very much. Right on. All right. That's it. And then there was one. I'm all alone in the trapdoor chicken coop studios. Well, of course, Keith is in a booth there. A big thanks, Kyle Von Kubik, John E. Capcom, two co-hosts extraordinaire. Couldn't do without you. TT and Stinky, I have no idea where they wandered off to. And, of course, TT Jr., I guess. Who knows? Uh, all of our correspondents on today's show, Jade, Ouch, Kirby, Jasonia. Special thanks to our two super guests from Konami, Tom Hewlett and John M. Gibson. I am 8-Bit. And thank you so very much for being a part of this show as well. We couldn't do it without you. Please tune in next month for another episode of We Talk Games. I'm Wiggly, and I'll bleep bloop you later. We Talk Games. How's that, Keith? No good? Meet the data.
Nations, don't forget the many gods like all over the world.